They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave. I'm all right, man. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, whoa, surviving just, but hanging on in there. I think we're all hanging on in there. We're all hanging on in there. When I say all, I think me. Um, there's a reason for that. Why is that? Why are we only just hanging in there? Well, I think the listeners will be the same after the weekend. I mean, I'm assuming it's been a party weekend for everyone who's British and. Everyone who loves um, who loves life, who loves pageantry, who loves bringing together two loves. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about beer lovers marathon, of course. Beer lovers marathon. <laughs> oh, so, so you did you mean the royal the royal wedding? <laughs> I, I still haven't watched any of that. I still don't know. Oh, if I, I know. What, I know what happens in the end. They get married. But that's not. Spoiler. Is that the end? Though? Spoiler. Well, well, before the Queen then has her killed in a, a elaborate way. Oh, that's going to be... That's something to look forward to, really. <laughs> that's it. How is the royal family going to rebel against that? Yeah, I think she... I think when they try to kill her, though, she's going to be more badass than they think. Absolutely. And she'll end up Absolutely. killing the assassin. And then, I mean, that's going to be a twist that they don't see coming. We've got, we've got an entire Netflix series here, I think. <laughs> but um so you've you've recovered from the beer lovers then does anyone really recover from the beer lovers that's the question that's the question oh, i mean it, i think it was even better than last year that was even better than the year before that was the best race of all time <laughs> <laughs> it is really good isn't it i mean it, it does it does get better i mean the thing is we're in that stage aren't we like we've been there from the start when it was like, how many were they doing it first? Like 500 people or something? Yeah. And, like and as it's getting like, it's exactly what you said. When it gets bigger, the atmosphere will get better. They have more budget to, you know, throw more money at the parties and stuff like that. And that's exactly <laughs> what's happening. And it is, we're, we're going, we're, we're there in the early days, man. But I think you, also you, you suddenly remember more people and you, you get more friends on the course that you, like you, because it's such a, it's still quite a, small race the people who are on the stands the people who are organizing everything they're all the same as the previous years yeah and so even though i I remember very little from most years i'm starting to piece together bits so i do actually recognize people and can say alone be like oh yeah you're that guy oh yeah but um well there i mean as ever quite a few stories went down but before you do that my name's Jodie Rainsford, and this is David Hellard, and this is the Bad Boy Running Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was too excited. It is indeed. It is. Well, we've done that bit. <laughs> exactly. That's over. It, it, the reason we're so excited is that Beer Lovers Marathon in Liège is, is the greatest marathon of all time, um, and, and mm. we're so enthusiastic about it. It's really important that you combine running and drinking in such a way, and, uh, and we always take a... a, a, a a, sig- a significant contingent out there. Well, David, David is responsible for that. <laughs> and so, and that was even evidence. They had this little, when we went there, they had this little um, a brochure uh, that's trying to push Liège and everything else. But they show a little graph of all the people, all the clubs that are represented. 
and uh, and that did that bring a little tear to your eye? That well, I was really quite drunk by the time someone showed it to me, but um, yeah, it did make me laugh because I think they'd have only put that in there to make us smile because it's not it's not necessarily a, a positive reflection on anyone else. The fact that like there's hardly any groups, but there's one massive group. There's <laughs> one massive want group to be... that's dominating everyone else, and you'll notice it. You'll notice it on the, and it coincides. Yeah, you'll exactly notice it you unless you finish within six hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. But once again, poor G Law. Oh, I was with he's G-Law. A, he's a misery magnet, isn't he? Oh my goodness, it's That's, just, it's your fault, isn't it? It's not. It's not my fault in any way. It's just it's the most incredible thing ever. So what happened was. Uh, Met with G Law, of course. Um, yeah, we. we uh, I didn't go. I didn't come on the Friday. In the end, I came on the, on the Saturday morning on the uh, the non-fun train. Um, the the, the train. <laughs> I, the, you, I imagine your Eurostar was amazing. The Eurostar we got was so boring. Uh, a, a 65-year-old woman tried to shoplift from the um, the uh, the booze car and tried to shoplift the. Uh, uh, what's it called? A still water, and got caught, and then marched back, and then refused service. It was that boring. Of... Whoa! I thought Ali Bailey was on our train. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> wow! That's why would you shoplift the water? Well, because she was saying she was saying the the guy the guy wasn't he wasn't up for any fun, and he was uh, he was being a bit of an arsehole actually. And uh, she's like, I was waiting ten minutes for service. You didn't give me service, so I was taking it. I'm like, well, oh, you know, she's using initiative. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so tell us about G-Law then. So, yeah, so we got off the train, met up with um, uh, G-Law and, uh, and uh, Rebecca, and, uh, you know, had a few drinks on the, uh, what's it called, the bars outside and everything and all that. And then, you know, when the time was right, headed to, headed to get the next train to Liège. So you get, you know, when you get Eurostar, you get Eurostar to Brussels and switch over to Liège. And it's a couple of trains from there. G Law sporting his uh, triathlon uh, <laughs> pack, and this this is karma for you. Triathlon pack, you know, all together, all on there together, uh, you know, chatting. Uh, well, trying to chat with G Law, very difficult to talk to, um, but all chatting together and everything. <laughs> we all all carrying our bags as you do. You know, the natural weight of a bag on you. It feels that's what you're doing. You take it on and off a, a, a train. We'll get off the train, Liège. Um, and Gilo goes, oh no, where's my bag? Guys, oh. I think I've left my bag on the train. <laughs> Just like that. And we're like, how? You're only carrying how one thing. How do you thing. do that? You're only carrying one thing. And it's all your stuff. If you left I can like a shopping bag or a coat or something like that, that's understandable. But yeah. your entire bag. We're like, what are you? So... This isn't the first time. So if you're a, a new listener to this, this isn't the first time this has happened to G-Law. This happens pretty much every single time he travels. Um, but previously, it's not necessarily been his fault. So he, he's had a bag of EasyJet. I think it, it got sent to the wrong country or something when he went to Iceland. Yeah, I think he had something a beer lovers last year as well, didn't he? Something go wrong. I but don't um, I don't know. But oh. so, so he does that. He has this usual panic of... Like the day before the race, having to go and buy all of his kit, mm. which is hilarious, of course. And then, 
he's always he's always and what, what makes it funny in you in european sportswear <laughs> but um yeah it was quite an eventful weekend as ever there was there's one gentleman um i think his name was alex from the group a uh, friend of greg's who didn't make it to the race who didn't actually oh. make it through the morning he he fell out of the top section of the hostel during the night onto his back because he was so drunk apparently his roommates then they were kind enough to just throw down a um one of the mattresses for him to sleep on they didn't actually check how he was and then he came back to the uk that morning to go straight to hospital but apparently he's all right he's all right he was potentially a little bit concussed but he's okay but um i mean that was casualty from the first night which was pretty without without any running involved um yeah yeah and the pasta party was even better this year i felt that it was was right in the center again Uh, they've moved the pasta party to where the beer festival is so there's no transition from free beer into the um the beer festival where we discovered even better hats. There was, did you see the pink hat? Le Milf, which we ended up with. The Milf. There was a beer that's just called tits. Oh yeah. Le yeah tits. The Milf, which I, you know, yeah. So I ended up with, with Le Milf, which I was very pleased, you know, being a pro, uh, anti-Filipino <laughs> state terrorist organization, um, approver. Um, so we've, we got that hat. There was then a hat that we, because I had Le Milf, Claire obviously wanted her own hat, so I then got this one called Tits. And in the morning, I looked at it, and Le Milf you look at, and you think, oh, it's Le Milf beer. It's, uh, it's quite fun. They've used uh, quite a provocative phrase to publicise their beer. I didn't think I don't think Milf was actually, I don't think they realised that that was funny. I got the impression of, uh, that they didn't realise oh, really? that was you funny. Think it was yeah. Just, uh, yeah, I just think that's like, it's just a bad... even Even better. I mean, oh, that I mean that pleases me more if that's the case. But then, in the in the um, cold light of day in the morning, when we looked at the tits hat, it was just the word tits with yeah. a drawing of a pair of tits in it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> at which point it went from being. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Does it say anything? Oh, sorry. Yeah, and um, and it, just a, a hat with the word tits in it and a picture. At which point you look at it and you go, if I ever wear this, I am going to look like a massive massive pervert there's no humor to it there's no subtlety it's just a man wearing a hat with the words tits on so um that's crazy i, I donated crazy, that hat to adam crazy <laughs> crazy european humor crazy european well the thing is in another language you might be able to get away from it because get away with it because it might be a little bit more cheeky and risque without oh. being quite as in your face next so next year we're going to take a load of hats that say nonce on them and we'll say yeah it's just a fun term that you use we're going to hand them out to people you can have people walking around with the word nonce in it because go oh, yeah it's a, it's a really good british beer british craft beer that you, you'll absolutely love it we can bring bottles of the stuff as well bring bottles have a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit ripping on each one but uh uh, no, we'll, we'll uh, but, move on, move on. But, move the, on. but, the, but um, um, the, the actual, the beer festival was better this year as well. In the, I remember the very first year when we turned up for beer lovers and they had this so-called beer festival. The weather was miserable. This beer festival was the saddest sight you'd ever seen. 
and you know the registration yeah. everything else like that was just it, you you had to go into like a courtyard of a church or something like that wasn't it or, or town hall or whatever and it didn't say much but yeah they've absolutely nailed it now got it you know and it's and it helped the weather was amazing yeah weather's fantastic and then beer lovers bar again how they run out of beer every year they they know that it's the beer lovers marathon they know that it's the beer festival and they know we're coming and yet within about an hour they've got three beers left how this is surely your this this is the biggest day of your year yeah yeah this is what you do but um i thought this year the 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 hero of the event has to go to the the local police they were so cool in what way go on go on i always i always think i love the way that they used you get right of way over everything no matter how fast it's moving towards you, or everything. But why? Why do you say that? Well, I didn't. I didn't realise it. Maybe it hadn't happened. It had happened in previous years. And I hadn't noticed. But they actually become your entourage for about the last five miles, where it was the same policemen who were going ahead to each junction and then closing the roads. And so, instead of in my head, uh, because we're at the back, they knew right. This is it. And so we started to get to know them quite well. And there's just this beautiful moment where one of the policemen was kind of backing away from, I think it was someone like Sam Hawes, Leroy and someone else who were going in for some heavy hugging. And he was kind of backing off, um, trying to pretend it's funny, but also a little bit panicked. So I ran round, cornered him on the back, on the, the far side, and then we just gave him this massive hug. And uh, this this look at his face of like terror, but also a little bit of delight as well. And they just thought it was brilliant. All the police the whole time were laughing so much. They were so friendly. And while I do, I do think that the British police at things like Pride or events or Glastonbury can be quite friendly and quite fun. Not on this level. I mean, these guys, you could see them almost thinking right five minutes i'm clocking off i'm straight in the bar of you guys they're just great it's absolutely loved them i just think the whole thing's great isn't it it's just it's all so well done i mean like that the um the after party as well uh when you come in at the end uh it's just brilliant but it always feels like you're rushing around i wish they just add another couple yeah. of hours onto it and it, it, it I always think, oh, we, you know, we'll get a little bit ahead and then we can relax a bit. And it, it just never, ever works out like that. You always ended up, like, rushing towards the end. Yeah, definitely took too long to get to halfway and again. You, well, and, probably longer. And you did, and you did notice um, that there were less beer stops this time, I think. Um, yeah, I think because, you know, we knew the course a little bit, yeah. that what you look forward and you almost need emotionally the beers yeah. when they're coming and um I, I think they only took a couple out but there were at points when it was quite far between beers and so you're running thinking it's all right we just need to do another half a mile yeah and there's gonna be a beer at this point and then when you get there i mean it's heartbreaking to know because no one's checked the map no one knows what's, oh, yeah, what's yeah, coming yeah 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 exactly oh and the other thing yeah the um the one thing I think, I mean, everything was great about it. Everything was great about it. I think you know, they had like, they it seems to have a lot more food as well this year. A lot more food, mm. load of you know, load of stuff. And they really like it was quite sort of abundant in each of the places. Um, but some of the music was just not the right type of music. 
Like the, that bit where you go, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when we, that bit when you get onto the island, um, which is, it's that halfway mark, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And like normally the you go there and they have like, like pumping music on and it's amazing. And, you know, you're all together and stuff like that. They had like some, well, they're basically the, the, the Belgian Bruno um, uh, laying down some like weird jazz tracks or something. And you're just like, what, what are you doing? I mean, like you, this is, this is completely the wrong music for this. Well, I don't know if the organisers actually get round to different parts of the course to see how people respond to it, because there aren't. I've just submitted a, an article for Men's Running, and there aren't any photos from outside of the start, the finish, and maybe two other checkpoints when you go up the stairs. Oh, really? And so for them, yeah, yeah, because understandably, it's you know they're they're small, they're busy, and. Um, I don't think they necessarily have a chance to actually see that when we got to the pier last time, there was a massive rave party and it was incredible. Or that when you go to the the part in the park, there's everyone starts dancing and we had a conga or previous years we've had, you know, wedding dances and stuff. But yeah, then again, yeah. you don't, I don't also know. Because there was no music. I don't know if they know that, but then I... Uh, yeah, mm. Chief wasn't it? Le Chief last time they had all that music. They had like a, an Oompa band or something like that, and it was it was amazing. And it just there was it just didn't have that yeah. this time. It was weird. But then part of me isn't sure whether they it, it's maybe it's intentional. Maybe they don't want to have people hanging around for twenty five minutes, just absolutely decimating the beer of one section too early on. Um, maybe it's a strategy. You never know. I don't know. But the the, the good. The section, the the second beer where you get to the top, where the 9% beer for cyclists is, that band were incredible, who played I Like to Move It, Move It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On All on Brass. And that was just amazing. I've forgotten about the Mad Stuntman. Stuntman. He, for me, is up there with Pato Banton, possibly possibly even higher as one of the absolute kings. Well, the thing is, Pato has never sold out. Pato has never sold out. He didn't allow his music to be used by an animated lemur like the Mad Stuntman. Uh, Pato only allows his music to be licensed by the very finest. Was, <laughs> I, w- I want to say licensed. Compare the meerkat. What? To compare the meerkat, use no. I like to move it, move it. No, it's in um, Madagascar. King Julius. Oh, I've not seen it. Oh my god! Like, oh. it, like kids. There's kids that know that music and think it's the. It's basically a a, a king meerkat. A king lemur basically invented that song. They don't think it's anything to do with Mad Stuntman. I'm I'm quite pleased by that. What I you think if we can be. wean. You wouldn't be. No, you wouldn't we- be <laughs> pleased by it. You really wouldn't. Pato never. Pato if, would um, never allow anyone to do that to his music. It's like if, it's, if we, it's like at the moment. Like I remember, you know, absolutely. Like, I love yeah. left field. Absolutely love left field. I was watching TV one day, yeah. and all of a sudden, I'm like, "Is this, is this left field on this advert for cheese strings?" And you're like, "What the is going on?" <laughs> like I love this song, and they're using it for cheese strings. Are you are you kidding me? And that's it. Like the like great songs being used for like terrible products. That's the worst thing ever. For example, Doritos using Stay Another Day. I mean, that is sacrilegious. About Tony Mortimer's brother committing suicide, and they use it for the Doritos advert. Thank you, Doritos. But 
but I think you've got to kids. Kids, you know, now we're getting old. We're obviously going to be complaining about we? youngsters' music. We, you're old. You are old. Oh, you're not. Oh, you've got two kids, mate. That makes you older in my book. No, it doesn't. Not at all. That makes me more responsible. That makes me more responsible. It does, it does age you, but it makes you more responsible. But you are you are old. Well, your your soon the statistics, about the statistics don't lie. The figures don't lie, man. Um, but yeah, oh, I don't the, know. Oh, but I, I think if we can wean our children onto the prodigy and onto incredible music like the Mad Stuntman by just slipping it into their culture with cartoons and things, I'm more I'm all for that. I want to see four year olds raving out to outer space. I think it'd be great. Um, I love the idea of um, these kids growing up and then seeing Mad Stuntman performing and going, huh, that guy's covering King Julius from uh, Madagascar. That would, that, that would be hilarious. Why are you ripping him off? Why are you ripping off a lemur, Mad Stuntman? Is that what makes you mad? <laughs> <laughs> so many, there's but, so um, much Watch the video on. again. Um, uh, uh, in fact, I'm going to listen to that. Oh, you listen to that. So go ahead. No, so I don't even. Why do we even start talking about that? Covers, covers. Yes, covers. Um, because because of the bands of the the beer lovers. But um, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you, thank you, the organisers. Thank oh, you, Jerry. First, first, another first. incredible year. First, before we say it, before we go to say thank you, there was some one thing I noticed, mm. and it's a very very worrying trend. Um, uh oh. There were a lot of people running that seriously. A lot more than previous times. Well, there was someone who was, they, they were probably, I, you, I tried to do a, a hellard and lead yeah. at least the first like three metres or something. And that wasn't happening because of the, 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 <laughs> the tryhards in that group. They went out fast and they stay fast. Like before, I remember we, we ran together, the, like the very first you said, God, those people are slow, the ones that are right at the front. But you wouldn't be able to say that. Say, so people were going out really quickly. Yeah. How, who won well, it? How, yeah. Far, how quickly did they win it in? I think he did about a 250, 253 or something, which is pretty good because they're hills and things. And what what is quite interesting from the photos, because I went, I went through all of them to try and find the best ones for the article. And um, the one section where you go down the narrow street with the the beer the blonde beer with the the lady on the bottle that's about yeah. 8.5% for the boat so what i hadn't realized those areas before we get there all of the cups are full of water and so they we get there and we think i i mean i didn't even know there were water in these places we get there, there's just beer everywhere but actually to start with all of the beer stops have a little section of slither of beer on the side and then just normal water stations and uh, it wasn't until i saw the photos like oh my god wow and and you're right some people do take it as a serious matter but not as many as you think i, I was going through some stats and only 39 people finished in under four hours which to me isn't that many Oh, that's not actually. Still, that's 39 too but, many. That's 39 people who don't understand yeah. what the point of a beer marathon is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you, you should only open up the, the finish line after 
five and a half hours. After six hours, min- 29. That's what it should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. But, um, yeah, I, I, I always think with some events, and in fact, nearly all events, that if you do it every year, it kind of takes the sheen off them a little bit because it's too fresh in the memory and you it becomes more of a routine than yeah the genuine excitement event the great thing about the beer lovers is you only remember about 30 percent of it every year so every year you still got two-thirds to, to try and remember and it's changed again anyway so actually you're only going to know about 15 percent of what's happening from the last year anyway well, by the, the thing, time uh, the thing is it's so easy it's like one of it, it could not be an easier marathon to participate <laughs> in to go to it's it's cheap it, to go to you know to go from London to the age really really easy to stay there's easy you know well if you book it through you um, you know with the was it a hostel and everything but it's <laughs> like you know it's it, 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 relatively cheap and everything but just to like do the registration is in the same place where it starts all the every you know it's all centered around the center of the town so that you've got all the beer you've got all the food there everything's there so you can just wander out there and you're bound to see other people there you're bound to like have group you know groups of people there just congregated and it's just it's the easiest thing which sounds as though well you know so many things but if you compare that to madoc and how how difficult they make it yeah to, to participate yeah. in that race um that just it, it's a testament to the, the the choice of the choice of like Liège as the place to do it, and and the way it's organised. So uh, I keep calling Gerard uh, uh, Patrick, um, and I, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I get saying, the math and just yeah, exactly. I know. I, know. I keep saying it because I say, "Oh, Patrick, this is a great one." It goes goes on. There's Gerard. I'm like that's what I said, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but amazing. Another amazing race. But we've um, we've had some. Uh... So Caroline, who came and joined us for the the beer lovers, she then went off with a group of uh, Dubadas to Sierra Leone Marathon. Have you heard her story? No, no, I've not. It's a goodie. So oh, go on, go on. As we um, as we all know from uh, well, if, if you haven't listened to JD and I talk about when we first met, which was during the Sierra Leone Marathon, where about eighty percent of the people got robbed blind at some point in the trip. Um so Caroline posted on Facebook, she said When you hide a hundred pounds in a pair of shoes, forget and donate them to a local Sierra guy who wants to run the marathon. You just try to justify yourself it's okay. It's gone to a worthy cause until the guy later tries to pimp out his sister to your friend. <laughs> a tragic comedy of errors. <laughs> You're like, wow, that does sum up everything about the Sierra Leone Marathon, the, the the amazingness of it, the story, the stories that come out of it, the the tragedy, the oh, the poverty, yeah, that's amazing. Interesting, interesting. Fair play, Caroline. Fair play. I can't believe she didn't ask for the money back. To be fair, but um, I don't know what you do really. Circumstances like that. No, no, I don't either. Yeah, I think British politeness would probably stop you from. Mm, yeah but we've also been we've we have a do batter in the group who has asked a very very unusual question oh go on what's the question so firstly firstly welcome to do batters to the group we've had a lot of do batters during the facebook group recently we've had loads um, loads yeah it's great to have you and we've had a load joining I'm, the park I'm, park run winners group as well 
Yes, that is um, that is partly my doing, I have oh. to say. Uh, we can talk about that in a sec. But firstly, Mike Taylor, welcome to the group, Mike. He uh, he messaged to say, am I strange? Is there anyone else who likes running, does the odd ultra, um, but doesn't drink? <laughs> I think he doesn't realise that bad boy running is not exclusively, but fairly heavily... Um, focused on people that like to get to burn the candle at both ends and i think he's just kind of come in the group is like wow what is this i didn't realize runners were so obsessed with boozy so i think he's good he's now got the opinion that runners are uh, our, our, our group is fairly um indicative of all runners which <laughs> i think could be further from the truth but uh it's i mean i i, I admire the man for lasting so long in the group without going, going for a drink Oh, absolutely. I think some of the conversations that have been had, I mean, some of the conversations that people are still talking about the monarch's way, I mean, that <laughs> should be enough to drive you to drink in and of itself. Oh, God, I can't believe it's all... Yeah, it's, it's almost like a bad dream that's on repeat. It but is. It's not going to A bad dream end. that lasts for two weeks. Two weeks. Who can yeah. believe it? Who can believe it? But yeah, but, that's it. I mean, congratulations to that dude... Uh, whoever he was, Oriel, the other one, Oriel. Um, so we're talking about the Monarchs Oriel. Way Ultra. We're talking about the Monarchs Way Ultra. So if you've um, if you've not, uh, if you just type Monarchs Way Ultra. Just search for Monarchs Way Monarchs Way in the group, and you're going to get more words than you will <laughs> ever ever want to read on the subject of it. Um, uh, if you go to our YouTube channel, it'll take you longer to read all the comments. It'll take you longer to read than it will. There are as many many words as there are are seconds in the title. Um, But if you go to our YouTube channel, um, it includes um, interviews um, when I was speaking to Lee Stewart Evans, who who walked the well walked run the entirety of the uh, the 615 plus or minus 50 to 60 miles of the Monarchs Way um, a couple of months ago, and um, and he set a fastest known time. On it, which they recognise fastest known time, um, the Monarchs Way Ultra, which you know, least timing was in no way designed to um, uh, circumvent <laughs> or undermine the, <laughs> uh, the running of this Monarchs Way Ultra event. Uh, is a yeah, it's an event set up by um, a company, and uh, they have to do it within fourteen days. And um, it's true, um, a guy uh, Oriol, um, uh, experienced ultra runner. Uh, completed in something like 12, 12 days something yeah days uh, yeah and and a couple couple of other people completed it within the within the fourteen days uh, it wasn't quite the the you know, the 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 route um, as laid down by the Monarchs Way Association so they can't claim fastest known times or anything um, but still considering everything else doing it are we sure they can't claim they can't not at all okay because they, they they didn't have uh, they've not they've not done the full route. Will they try and claim? Do you think, or well, well, they can't because they've not done the full route. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the um, oh, what was I going to say then? What I like to think of it as, and this is what I think. I think I like to think of Lee as being the Roger Bannister of um, uh, uh, boring and shit, <laughs> shit running enterprises. Like no one wanted to do this. No one ever wanted to do this, and it took Lee all that pain and effort to be the, to basically do his, you know, four minute mile. And then once he's done it, you've got three people, people didn't believe it could be done. They didn't believe it could be done, and he proved it could be done. And so 
three finishes, three finishes, uh, just a couple of months afterwards, showed that you know it was possible, you know, to be done. So that's why I like to think of. I mean, it. what an inspiration! You've got to say, what an inspiration to uh, to everyone. And I've and I, you know, I'm, I'm plugging you and him here that you will both be featured on the inspiration stage at the Love Trails Festival in a month's time. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know where it is actually. I've, I've probably got to start playing that. Don't yeah, know we're gonna. Where it is. I love that. It's. I think it's July. It's definitely in July. I know it's after my holiday, which is why I haven't actually considered anything. But it's why oh, I'm such on a shame can't make it. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of do batters there. Um, speaking a lot of them as well, or people who've been on the show. People like Danny Bent going to be talking. Um, um, in fact, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. But really? <laughs> there's going to be it's a weekend of running and uh, drinking, and then lots of talks, chats, um, things on those lines. So Lee's giving a talk about uh, Volex Way, which I can't wait for. And it's going to be amazing. Um, we're going to be doing a live do badder um, bad boy running podcast, and then um, uh, I'm going to be presenting one talk about international marathons but then one talk about how to put on your own race which could be uh, quite interesting amazing <laughs> yeah. amazing could end up with some uh, quite dramatically um unsuitable race ideas coming out of that um I th- they've only got about 50 places left though i think it's gonna sell out quite cl- quite soon and there the hash are going there's a uh, project awesome midnight runners there's, there's it's it's one of those events where I think if you go to it, you'll end up knowing far more people than you expected um, who've got who've gone along as well. Yeah. But it sounds like it should be really good. I think it's, and it's pretty good price as well, thankfully. So, um, but talking about um, Lee Stewart and Monarchs Away and Ultras, yeah. we can segue into our next guest. She is a um, she's the clinical and performance dietitian of the 24-hour team, the British 24-hour team. And we wanted to get her on because um, she was recommended to me because Mike Stocks, who um, a friend of mine running Conway's with me in a couple of weeks, he's recommended her. She works with Robbie Britton. And um, hopefully we can then segue into the rest of my introduction because I can't remember what it is. So, um, Deep Adders, we've got an absolute treat for you now. We've had uh, Rennie recommended to us by one of my personal rivals, but from the, the Heathside Running Club Massive, but also she um, she consults and advises um, Robbie Britton, who is obviously a huge friend of the show. So we wanted to get Rennie on. Um, it's Rennie, Rennie McGregor, if you want to buy her books, if you want to follow her on uh, her blog, all those things, for many, many reasons. Um, first one is she is the nutritionist dietitian for the GB 24-hour team. Um, She also has a lot of experience on nutrition relating specifically to -to day-to-day nutrition based on your training, which is a new concept to me, something I hadn't heard before. We've just been talking now about eating disorders in sport, which is another area which just hadn't occurred to me for for running and for endurance sports because I just thought – Nutrition is such a key part of it that people would be always fueling. And uh, Jodie doesn't know this, but uh, Renee also consults with a major cycling team. So so, uh, with Jodie, obviously, to test for cyclists. So, uh, but welcome to the podcast, Renee. Hey. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm so excited about it. I mean, it's it's quite rare we get... um, 
four really really interesting topics to uh it's going to take about three months to record this but um <laughs> as, as usual that's a, that's like a normal episode isn't it <laughs> <laughs> but i mean where, where to begin do you, want to, do you want to tell us about your background and how you got into how you became an expert really how you, you found yourself into all these different roles and, and all this different experience Oh, that's a, a good question. I don't know if I would ever still put myself in the in the description of an expert because I think you can always learn more personally. Um, but I suppose I started off with a biochemistry degree um, and I love biochemistry. I love understanding how the body works. But I kind of got to the point where I was like, yeah, I don't want to be in a lab for the rest of my life. It's just not who I am. So um, I then moved on to looking into doing a dietetics degree, which kind of made sense at the time. Um, but I think once I became a clinical dietitian, while I enjoyed it, just it wasn't quite what I'd expected. It wasn't quite what I wanted. I mean, I got a huge amount of experience doing it. I did it for three years and worked in many, many big teaching hospitals with lots of different very interesting clinical conditions like cystic fibrosis and eating disorders and gastroenterology like I got a, a really good base for nutrition I don't think you can ever beat that to be fair um, and I suppose I've always been a runner I've always been really sporty and kind of thought you know what I want to that's my area that's what I know I'm going to be good at because I, I'm interested in it it's the biochemistry the physiology so I went on to do a postgrad in um, applied sports nutrition and kind of from that, really, my first role was with the um, rhythmic gymnastics team that went into London 2012. So kind of okay. straight in there in the deep end, which was uh, quite entertaining. Um, but the, the reason I got the job was because of my clinical background, because, again, it was a sport which needed to be managed really well from a clinical point of view, from an aesthetic point of view, from a nutrition point of view. Um, and we, we really needed to manage this, these youngsters um, so that they didn't we didn't create any long term health problems so um that was brilliant i mean it was a, the probably uh, such an amazing experience and i still work with scottish gymnastics um, um now so that was rhythmic and that was the the gb team but i now work with scottish gymnastics across actually most of their disciplines so just been with them when they went out to the commonwealth um in australia i didn't go to the commonwealth but i was working right all the way up with them and then was on standby if needed um so that's kind of I suppose how I got into sport and then I just I suppose I don't know I don't know what happens I don't know how it all happens I think I just love my job and I think that's what people say I love my job I love working with people I'm really interested in working with people I like seeing people um get their outcome I'm constantly learning myself I don't think like I said I don't think you ever get to the point where you can go right that's that's it now I'm the expert in this field because it, science is always evolving and there are so many unasked there's so many questions we still don't know and there are so many things that you go back and you read the research and and you sort of think yeah but is that really reliable enough and so I just I think you have to kind of as you go through your your work life and your career I've got to the point where I use a lot of knowledge from a scientific point of view. I use a lot of my experience because working with athletes, you start to understand how people are going to respond to your input or, or different inputs and interventions that are going to work. But also there is an element of gut, like you have to use your gut instinct a little bit. Now I'm not saying completely, but you do need to kind of have a good confidence and knowledge about you to, to, to you know, and I think 
that's where, especially working the 24-hour team, mm. you know, anything can happen in 24 hours and we can have, we have all the plans, we have, you know, all the contingency planning, we have it all. But at the end of the day, you know, you don't know, somebody might start vomiting at 16 hours or somebody might have a really bad um, episode of diarrhea or, 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 or they just completely and utterly bonk and you're thinking right how and you've got to think on your feet you've got to really mm. think on your feet because at the end of the day it's a team medal at stake if you're not helping your athletes so I think that's what I like I quite like I'm a problem solver I like putting things together and working out how it all comes together and how it works um and I think in terms of how I've got here I've just worked hard really and I think people like how I work and that's kind of why I I do what I do to be fair so when you you've mentioned about the the 24-hour team and, and the nutrition and having to change hour by hour almost um i think ultra running is quite unique in that the 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 wisdom the perceived wisdom is completely contradicting um, um depending who you speak to and everyone's an expert they haven't actually done that many tests in in lots of things with your knowledge and experience, when you think of the individuals in the the team, how different is the nutrition for each of them? Very, very different because you've got, you know, we've got what nine, eleven athletes, all with different genetic backgrounds, all with different training age in terms of how long they've been doing twenty four hours for. You've got males and females, so you've got all the kind of hormonal aspects of that. Um, and everybody's body responds differently. So you do have people that are more efficient naturally at using fat for fuel, and you have others that their body composition means that they rely on carbs. And no matter what amount of training you do, they will still rely on carbohydrate. And then you've also got the, the fact that some of them might not train in the way that you need them to train, um, and, and what I mean, what I say by that is that they don't necessarily train with practicing their race day nutrition, which is really difficult to do in 24 hours because mm. you don't go out and practice for 24 hours. You know, you mm. do smaller chunks, and so we can test six hours, we can test 12 hours. But leading into a major championships, like we, you know, we're going out to Romania in four weeks, we can't ask them to do that because it's it's knackering. So, so you're you're going a lot by feel and. I think it's been interesting because I've only been part of the team for two years. Um, so I went out to Belfast with them last year for the Worlds and I'm going out to Romania this year for the Europeans. And, and last year was a real test for me. Like I'd never been in that environment before. Um, it was a test just staying awake for myself, let alone, <laughs> you know, trying to help them run round. I was like two o'clock in the morning. I was really struggling. I cannot tell you. Um, this year they said they're all going to throw jelly babies at me. I was like, okay, great. That's going to really help. I don't think I need like triple shot coffee or something. But, um, but um, it, it was a really, it was a really good learning curve because you're, you're, you're actually getting to know the athletes. And we've got some athletes that are coming back this year. They're still part of the team and they're coming back. And so I feel more confident with them. And I think equally they feel more confident with me because they now know me and they understand what we're trying to achieve and so we've been talking quite a lot about contingency planning best race plans perhaps not the best race day plans and then an absolute awful day plan and then in the back of my head I've got the well actually we're going to Romania it could be about 40 degrees 
need to think about salt, need to think about hydration, need to think about nausea. So in my head, I've got my checklist and what I'm going to take out to support the team as well, because I know that potentially that these are all the different situations and scenarios that could happen. So I think what makes you a good practitioner is, and I guess I've been fortunate, I've gone to some really major events and I've done loads of international events with the teams I've worked with in the past. I went to the Rio Paralympics with GB wheelchair fencing and GB wheelchair basketball. Um, you know, I've done the worlds with GB fencing. So I've, I've been really lucky in that I've had these experiences, which then makes you a little bit more savvy about what could go wrong, what things to expect. And so sometimes as an athlete, it's very difficult to imagine what it would be like. But obviously as a, somebody, as a practitioner who's been out there and experienced it, you can say, you know what, when we went to Rio, this happened. So let's think about what this this could look like. Or when we went to you know, Rome, this is what happened. And then the bus didn't turn up. So how are we going to cope with that? So it's not just about nutrition. I mean, this year going into... Um, the Europeans, I'm actually going in as um, the women's team lead. So I'm women's team lead, so I'm part of the team management, Robbie's men's team lead, and then we've got John Paris, who's our overall team manager. So we've got a really good team management going forwards, um, of which two of them have obviously done 24 hours before. I'm the only one who doesn't run that ridiculous distance. So um, I think they're all nuts, personally, mm. but I love them all for doing it, but I do think they're all nuts. But, um, but yeah, so I guess that's the thing. It's there's no one size fits all. And it's also about likes and dislikes. You know, like recently we had a call yesterday and it was like, you know, somebody wants um, Lucozade, another person wants soya milk, another person. And so it's kind of making sure we can get all this, we can get everything. Like, thankfully, Robbie's got a good contact out in Romania. So we've, able to, we've been able to sort of go, can you buy this at the supermarket? Can you buy this at the supermarket? And what we can't buy, we'll, go, we'll take it with us. So it's quite a, a lot of planning. And for me, the next four weeks are really critical because I've got everybody's nutrition race plan, which I'm now going through with a fine, fine, you know, fine tooth comb and just going, kind of going back to them and saying are you sure you want this at this point do you remember last year this was what happened or are you sure you this is what you're going to be able to stomach at 17 hours in or, or whatever so it's a challenge it's that kind of challenge back that check and challenge which is such an important part of of being a cohesive team um but equally i trust them i mean they they are the experts in themselves and you have to kind of go with if they turn around to you and say really i know that i'm just going to want coke for the last six hours then fine you have coke, but I just make sure they get enough coke to hit the the numbers that they need to hit. Um, mm. So yeah, it's very different. It's everybody's body is so different, and I guess even just working with ultra runners, and I've worked with a big range of ultra runners, and and also then a big range of um, endurance runners, just kind of doing marathon level. They're all different. I can't say like here's a plan for for you and then you can have the same plan because everybody's body is so different and I think that's what's critical is understanding that and the only way you get to know how somebody responds is working with them quite closely and getting that feedback off them and when you get the feedback off them then you can start to make changes and when when you say the feedback I mean is that are you testing say I JD or I suddenly we're going to be in the 24-hour team and we come along we we know what we've done in the past which we probably like we're used to but actually doesn't necessarily mean that we're fueling at all correctly um how how would you assess someone new and kind of take them through is there a kind of a checkbox are there certain 
different foods that you try try just this try just that is there a combination so that if if say we're a listener at home um they could then apply it to themselves to try and find out what they respond well to and, and what they really need to be testing to maximize that their nutrition yeah so generally speaking when I work with anybody new I'll get them to send me um I've sent them out a a nutrition assessment form and they send it back and it's kind of their their day-to-day diary against their training for that week plus I'll get them to send me any race day nutrition that they've used in the past so you know if they've done a big ultra then what what they did and often if I'm honest quite a lot of the ultra runners I've worked with most recently They've come to me because they've had stomach issues later on in an ultra or mm. you know in a 24 hour race it's a very common thing and and that's the thing they've wanted to try and work out why so the more information i can get the better then i'll first look at kind of i'll look at the build-up to the race and try and find out if there was anything in that build-up that maybe have have caused a stomach issue or is it actually just the fact that they've tried to over consume in a race because they've gone right well I know I need to keep eating in a race but um they've not practiced that because you have to train your gut you can't expect to be able to manage a load of food in your stomach on race day if you don't practice with it what's one of the and I'm going to probably get a bit ranty now but it's one of my (laughs) biggest issues with people who do low carb high fat because they do low carb high fat but then they go into a race and they eat carbs and then they blame it on the carbs for not working well actually you've completely detrained your gut to absorb carbs so you can't then expect to take it and for it to work it doesn't that doesn't work so you have to train the gut i mean i've got a guy at the moment i'm working with and he's um he's a 24 hour mountain cyclist so they do mountain biking and it's 24 hours mm. um and his biggest issue has been his his stomach and we started working together and i'm like well do you ever practice your nutrition oh, no no i don't i don't practice in any of my training runs races i was like okay fine so the first thing we do is start to introduce a little bit of food in his training rides just little tiny bits so that he gets used to eating and then it's like right now what we got to do is practice the pace you're going to do in your race and eating at that pace because that's also a big thing you know like people again don't always appreciate that if you if you've trained at say a certain a certain pace where your body can then take food if you then go out to a race and try and smash it in the first half because you're trying to get ahead well you also affect how your body is going to tolerate that food and how your body's going to adjust and, and use that food and actually you use your stores up very quickly because your body's got used to working on that amount of energy that's going in so the thing about any sort of race prep is practice 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 and it's simulating race conditions as much as possible so even if you can't do 24 hours even if you can do six hours or 12 hours i mean we had one of our, a couple of our team gb team have went to crawley and just did six hours but they practice running at their pace fueling with the fuel they're going to use at the intervals they're going to do it at just to make sure their stomach can take it and that's when you can go into a race then and feel really confident that you've controlled all the controllables obviously you can't help what will happen in terms of temperature and you know illness or whatever but you can control all those things so so that's how I work and so what we'll do is I will will test things so somebody comes to me and says right, I'm going to, I'm running this race and I want to practice. So we'll go, right, okay, so this is the place we're going to practice what you eat for breakfast, 
I want you to take on this and we're going to try this salt strategy. So we'll do that. And then they'll feed back to me and say, well, that, that felt really good or that didn't feel very good. And then the next time I might change one other element of it. And so over the time we'll build up. So like, I mean, another big ultra run, Holly Rush. I've known Holly for 10 years. Holly and I have been friends for a long, long time. And over 10 years, I now know pretty much exactly what she needs when she needs it because I've worked with her so much and we've, we've, we've swapped things around, we've tried different things. And when she did her 100-miler Cotswold last year for the first time, I did say to her, Holly, you've never done 100 miles before. You need to just take a load of X different stuff because you know what? That pork pie that you always want, I'm not sure you're going to want it. And and she didn't. She, you know, she was actually by the time she got to the end, all she could manage was rice pudding and Coke, which was great because she had that as a contingency. So you've got to sort of think about every eventuality and practice with everything so you can feel confident that if you can't quite face Coke or you know, your, your soya milk or whatever it is going to be, then you've got something else in the bag that you can. So, so the, actually the nutrition towards the end of races, even with the top guys, is really determined by cravings more than yeah. necessarily I have to take this every 20 minutes. Or... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I suppose, as you said right at the beginning, we've got so little data on ultra running particularly we don't know enough about the requirements and I think we've kind of stabbed in the dark a little bit as nutritionists and physiologists and researchers and sort of gone well it's probably around 60 to 90 grams of carbs an hour but what I know from working with people is that it's actually very difficult to take on 90 Mm. grams of carbs an hour yeah it's really really hard and I don't think I've met anybody that's managed to do it and particularly in that kind of the, the multiple transportable aids that they talk about, so making sure you're getting a combination of glucose and fructose. Yeah. You just don't want, at the end of, I mean, I've done ultras, and at the end of an ultra, I do not want to see another gel. If someone gave me a gel, I'd throw it back in their face. You know, all I want is a handful of peanuts or some soup or a piece of pizza because you're just craving salt. And, mm. and also you've got to remember that, you know, when you're out there running for that long, you are probably starting to break down your protein stores as well for energy because of, 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 of what you're doing. You know, you, it's very difficult to meet your requirements. And so you will use your glycogen stores. You'll probably start to affect your liver glycogen stores, which is obviously the danger because you don't want to really go into that too much. Um, but you probably will in a long ultra race. And so then you start to break down your, your, your muscle stores. And obviously that's when you do start to crave more protein and more salt and, and the things you, you need. So, I think I always say if you can be if you can be very good with your fueling for the first half of any race then you're in you're you're probably in a better position because we kind of all know that by the time you get to the end of a race whatever you do is is going to be tough I don't think anybody finishes an ultra massively strong in from Mm. a from a nutrition point of view just because it's so difficult and you've you know you've it's very hard to fuel all the way around and I know like people say oh, well I use tailwind and I use mountain um is it mountain fuel not mountain, mountain fuel. fuel yeah that's yeah one mountain mountain fuel. Fuel yeah yeah and you know people say oh, and I swear by it and I swear by it and I'm like you know what brilliant fantastic but at some point at some race that's not going to work for you because I've seen it so people will go I, I swear by it I swear by it I swear by it and I'm like fine but just be aware that at some point it's not going to work and I had a guy who was went out to um, NDS and um, 
we played around with his nutrition massively until we, because also we had the, not only did we have the kind of the challenge of the desert, we had the challenge that he had to carry all his calories. Mm. Um, and, you know, and we were like, we were trying to maximize everything. And in the end, he did email me last week and he said, you know what, we got it spot on. He said, the only thing I struggled with was I couldn't drink the energy drink, even though that's what he'd drunk all through training. But when he got there, that was the one thing he didn't. But everything else actually was spot on. And he finished, you know, he's he's not an elite athlete, but he finished in the top 30% that so he was happy. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, that was a survival aspect more than anything else. But but he did it, which is great. So I guess that's it. I work with so many different people. I pick up from everybody what's worked well and I might suggest somebody else, you know what, let's try this. It might not work for them. And if it doesn't, then we take it out and we try something new. But it really is trial and error because there is very little absolute evidence of what works. And I think I always say this, like, you know what, science is not N equals one. But in in certain situations, you kind of have to use everything you can to work out what works for you and make it very bespoke to you. And that's really important. Well, you've, you said that, you know, as part of that, you test certain elements with the runners when you first meet them. I mean, if you were to break down almost all the different elements that you you could test or that could be factors, mm-hmm. whether that's salt, you know, mm-hmm. protein, fat, I mean, what what would they be if we were to go out and test ourselves? So the, the first thing is is always trying to make sure that you can get them to consume at least 60 grams of carbs an hour because that, that we do know seems to make a big difference in terms of, remember carbs is not just about the glycogen in the muscles and fueling the muscles and the energy, it's also your brain, like our brain needs glucose to function and in an ultra you have you get to a point where you're making decisions mm. you know and and if you haven't got enough glucose going to the brain you can't make a decision and you make the wrong decision and you go down the wrong path and you end up you know adding on an extra 5k or whatever to your to your, a bit like my practice run yesterday where i was meant to go out and just do 10k and i had covered 19 which was not really on the plan but there we go that's what happened but um so you know that's an important fact so carbs is like the biggest thing i'll look at I'll also take into consideration the individual's likes like because that's really important. Again, I'm not going to say to someone, right, you need to go and have this gel mm. when they go to me. Actually, I can't do gels. I don't I don't do gels. I can't I can't do that. You know, it's not that's not going to work. Um, so it's looking at the types of fueling and also the um, the composition of the fueling. Salt's another big one, a huge, huge one. Like, again, most ultra athletes are going to need in the region of 700 to 900 milligrams of sodium per liter of fluid majority of people and obviously the hotter it is the more you might need um but that's i mean that's a very average ballpark figure but it's the one that people don't tend to pay attention to and it's the one that actually tends to cause more problems because if you become salt depleted it can then start to affect nausea and then if you become nauseous, then you can't take on nutrition. So, you know, it, it, and then, then you're stuck because then you don't have any energy and then you're in this little loop. So getting the salt right is the big one. So it's then starting to work out, well, how are we going to give them this salt? Are they going to take it through a drink? Are they going to take it through a tablet? Are they going to take it through an electrolyte? Are they going to take it through food? How are they going to take it? Because that's, that's the next big thing because 
you know, everybody again is so different. Some people like drinks and they can drink and it's not a problem. Other people, I mean, I'm useless at drinking. So when I, whenever I race, if I race, I tend to use salt tablets because that's what works for me. And I can go, right, okay, well, I've had my 700 milligrams. So I know I'm set for the next however long or, or whatever. But for some people, they forget or it doesn't work or they can't swallow or, you know, again, I think Holly's been quite open about it when she did the Cotswold 100. She's always used S-caps and she couldn't swallow them towards the end because she just couldn't. She was so tired and probably dehydrated. She just couldn't. And then it was like, okay, well, what do I do now? And thankfully she had some, she had a backup. And so she started taking on some electrolytes instead. So again, you have to kind of look at those. So, you know, so carbs, salt, and then hydration. And again, that's so individual and it will depend on you as an individual, your size, um, what what country you live in, um, and then where you're going to race and what the temperature is going to be there. Because that has a big impact on, you know, on you on that day. So, you know, if you're going into a hot country, I would always try and recommend doing some sort of heat training in the 12, 12 days leading into going to a hot country because we know that it takes about 12 days to adapt. And we've seen, I've, we did that going into Rio. We did training just in a bedroom with the radiators up flat, like full, so that we had that sort of 37, 38 degree temperature that we needed 12 days before going to Rio. And that made a big difference to that athlete because he wasn't affected by the heat when we got there. So, you know, it's kind of looking at how heat affects your hydration. And and in fact, interestingly, with the same athlete, it was really interesting to see how the first two or three days he was so dehydrated, drinking the same amount of fluid that he normally did. And then that really impacted his training the next day because he was so fatigued by being dehydrated. But then he sort of understood, we did like Osmo testing for him and he understood that he was dehydrated and he started to look at, right, I know I need to now up it by this much and, and, and up it by this much. So by the time we got to Rio, he was really confident in knowing how much fluid he needed for that type of temperature. So it's, it's all learning. And I think that's that's the thing is that I suppose while I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a dietitian and nutrition is my, my thing, there's an element of I, I do do a little bit more because of my the roles I've had within other sports. So I can give people advice around heat training and what to do and, and how to look at heart rate variability and, 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 and what that means. So, you know, helping people to maybe identify when they're tired and maybe they don't need to go and do a really hard session and push themselves because they're more likely to cause more damage than good. Similarly, when I work with a lot of athletes, I look at um, biomarkers a lot so that, again, I can really help them to monitor their progress and help them to understand where their body is at that moment in order to um, in order to get the best out of them and get them optimal. So I've, I've, I've deviated from your original uh, question, which I do a lot, by the way. That's, that's <laughs> one of my, my major uh, downfalls is that I do ramble and I go off tangent. Um, but um, so going back to your question, David, um, <laughs> carbohydrate, salt and hydration will be key. And then I will always think about I'll ask them to think about what in the past they've looked forward to. So, you know, like when you're racing, there's always a part of you that's like, I can't wait to go and have whatever, whether it's chips or pizza or whatever. And I think it's really important to know that that's going to be there at some checkpoint because it's it's more of a, it's a psychological boost as well Mm. as a, 
and a, a nutritional boost. And when you're doing these big, long ultras, you need you need real food. You can't just survive on sweets and um, jelly babies and uh, gels and drinks. You just get fatigued. You know, you get taste fatigue and you start to feel really sick. So you need to sort of be thinking, oh, I'm really looking forward to my, you know, whatever it's, bowl of porridge or soup or pizza or whatever it is that you, you go for. Mm. And I guess, yes, you do. It would be great to be able to try that out in training. But sometimes on race day, you just got to do what you've got to do and you've got to work on what what's worked for you in the past. Um, and mostly by the time you've got to that stage, you probably know that actually if you eat your pizza and then you go for a bit of a walk before you start running again, you're going to be able to digest it properly anyway. Um, so those are those are the sorts of things I'd look at. In, in terms of fat and protein, I look more about that during training in terms of day-to-day training and what the individual needs based on what they've done that day, what they've got coming up the next day. And that's how I tend to manipulate more on the fats and protein. On race day, I try and avoid too much fat and protein because we know that obviously that's digested a lot slower. So it can have more of a negative impact than a positive impact, particularly early on. But obviously, depending on how long the race is, the longer you start you're out there for the more likely you are going to need more you know more, more more protein and probably some fats as well just because of the possibility of things and so it's not off limits but it's not the thing that i focus on massively so are you are you fairly against um the new trend in running of kind of ketosis using ketones and people that say they can actually fuel better just by using fat and protein I am, and I'm probably going to get lynched for saying that because I have been lynched many times when I say this, but I'm really anti-ketogenic diets. I'm really anti-low-fat, low-carb, high-fat because I have seen the negative consequences so many times in my clinic that I'm not prepared to put anybody through that. And it's not just about what happens in the short term. It's actually the longer term that's, that's the issue. So... There's lots of new work studies and stuff coming out that's demonstrating that, you know, these low carb, high fat diets have a pretty negative consequence on hormonal balance, which then tends to have a real negative impact on bone health and cardiovascular health and immune health. So from my point of view, if you want to be in the long game for ultra running, then you don't want to be doing low carb, high fat. There's, there's too many risks. And I know I've had so many people saying to me, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And she, you know, has she ever tried it and, and all this kind of stuff. And yes, some people probably are slightly more suited, I guess. Yeah, they can, they can be more suited to it. But I still think when I look at biomarkers and I look at long-term health, I'm yet to find a single person who has benefited from it beyond two years. So, you know, I'm not saying like I'm not saying initially, like initially everybody feels better. They seem to anyway, um, and they get really excited by it. But the problem is the the impact it has probably start to make an appearance about two years down the line for most people. And I've had a real mix of runners, um, cyclists, triathletes who've all turned up at my clinic 18 months, two years after starting with real problems and it's very very hard then to get them back to a normal even keel because for some of them for some of them it's a bit too late for some of them they've even got to the point where they will never be able to go back 
to running at the form they were running at right at the beginning because they've overtrained their body so much. Their body is so fatigued and so um, damaged that it, it can never go back up to, to what it to what it was. So I I personally have a big health warning against it. I know, like I said, there will be others out there that will be completely um, against what I've just said, but I can only tell you what I know from the science and from what I've seen in clinic. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's the issue, isn't it? That, as you say, it's, if it is two years, really, it's only been two or three years that people have been taking up um the low carb diet on mass rather than just yeah. the odd atkins diet and um and and obviously clinical studies very hard to do <laughs> over two years <laughs> and also to see the long-term effect is is incredibly hard um amongst athletes and so yeah th- i mean that's why i'm interested because i i there's a company called human who have that do a lot of biohacking and I know ketones is one of their big, big uh, movements, one of the big products they're pushing, similar things like bulletproof coffee. And so uh, it's something I don't really understand and I hear about. So I'm always intrigued to find out, you know, am I doing something wrong? Is there something I could be doing better? Am I missing out? That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah, it. You yeah. are. There's a FOMO yeah. going on, isn't there? Like, what? Yeah. yeah, could I be better? I mean, I I don't honestly think I'd if I found out I could be, I'd probably have to be about fifteen percent faster for me to be able to honestly give up carbs because I just love sweets and chips and everything carby is everything. It's just everything good in the world. I'm sure if you go to heaven, it's going to be made of carbs. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, think, I so, mean, one of the things that we do, yeah, one of the things we do know, and we've got loads and loads of studies that actually prove this. So one of the things we do know is that the faster you go, mm. the more reliant you are on carbs. So if you want optimal performance, then you do need carbohydrate. And that is a fact. Like nobody, we've done, I mean, I, I there's a, uh, the big bods in, in this area, Louise Burke and John Hawley. I mean, I know for years and years and years, they were trying, they were, they were actually desperately trying to prove that high fat, low carb would be best for high performance, but they've not been able to prove it. They did like 15 years of study and they still couldn't prove it because it's not possible. You can't change physiology. So you might find that people feel they can go for longer being on a high-fat diet because they're not reliant on carbohydrates. You don't have these dips that we often see when we eat carbohydrate, but they can't go fast. So if you just want a steady-state run, then, yeah, by all means, you can do you can be high-fat. But if you want to do well, if you want to run fast – you're not being able to do that on a on a high fat diet. You're just not, and 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 that's the thing that I mean. When I work with individuals, we'll do what I call my periodized approach, which is you know very much that there are certain runs that I will suggest they do in a fasted mm. state or in a carb depleted state, so that actually they do learn to use more comfortably use more fat for fuel. But ultimately, they also need to learn. They also need to get their bodies to be more comfortable with using carbs for fuel efficiently too because if you do too much high fat you're not efficient at using carbs for fuel either and that's what you really need mm. in a race day situation so i mean i and, think and is, is the 24 hour because i i was wondering actually whether the, the speed say robbie robbie Britton, he probably does 
what an eight minute miles nine minute miles average for 24 hours yeah and yeah. so it's even at that speed is is that still because that is obviously very slow for robbie mm-hmm. but is, is that still too quick to be performing at your optimal speed optimal ability if you're not using carbs so I think this is where people get really confused because they've got this into this head that if you run at one speed, you're only going to burn fat. And if you run at another speed, you're only going to burn carbohydrate. And that's not how the human body works. So the human body will, will continually be burning carbs and fat the whole day, whether we're running or whether we're sitting on our chairs, because that's what the body does. And if there's a bit more carbohydrate available in the system because you just had your lunch and you've had a sandwich, then it will burn a high percentage of fat, uh, carbs. And if you haven't eaten for several hours and you and 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 it's run out, then it will it will burn a bit more fat. So when you're running, like Robbie runs at say that that pace, he will be burning percentages of carbs and fat. So mm. while he could continue to maintain that pace. He wouldn't even on that pace, he still needs that little bit of carbohydrate to fuel that pace. Mm. So it's not just a case of um, if you run at this speed, you're only using fat so that you can definitely manage on fat. You probably will find you will slow even mm. at that pace if you don't keep the carbohydrate up. And as I said earlier, the, the biggest part is the brain. I mean, I, mm. you know, I in the so the other area that I work in in terms of eating disorders, I mean, I see the extreme cases of people that are literally starving, like literally starving, and their brain has been starved, and they haven't eaten properly for how many months or even years in some cases. And the brain has become hugely affected by that, massively mm-hmm. affected. And so the, the, what happens is like the brain needs 120 to 130 grams of glucose a day to function properly. When you go into starvation, when you've used all your glycogen stores up and there's no carbohydrate available, then you start to, you know, you start to use ketone bodies, but it's not as efficient as, as glucose. And so it slows everything else down. And so it starts to send different messages to the body. And I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, I know there's always going to be people who are looking at trying to improve the next big thing and, and like using ketones for, um, you know, for fuel. So you don't use carbohydrate and, and you can spare your carbohydrate, but mm. I, it's not as efficient at the end of the day. It just isn't as efficient. And from a brain point of view, I think it's quite dangerous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, it's something I didn't even know about. Actually, the brain needed glycogen, which, uh, it's such a good excuse if you're at school. Eating yeah. sweets. <laughs> so you're like, well, I'm trying to be good in class. Give me more refreshers. But um, and so you you mentioned um earlier about there are some runs where you you say to the team go out and do these runs, uh, depleted runs. Yeah. Um, are they? Is that just the kind of the Sunday long run, or are there other ones in the week you you try and do that for? Yeah, I mean anything that's very slow and recovery like I would always suggest you can do that it depends on what's coming next so David like so for example you know if if I've if they've got a race at the weekend then I probably wouldn't encourage them to do many runs that week because you don't want to deplete your carb stores your glycogen stores too much and you, you know you kind of just want to keep on top of it but if they're not if they're just in training then there's no reason why you can't do a slow steady pace mm. you know on just 
you know, on what you ate last night or, you know, in a, in a fasted state. And you will obviously end up using more fat for fuel because especially if you're out for a couple of hours, then you will use up or, you, you know, your your muscle glycogen stores will be used up. Your liver glycogen stores won't be, but your muscle glycogen stores will be used up. And so, you know, you will start to benefit from using a higher percentage of fat for fuel. But like I said, the body's not, you know, it's not as absolute as that. Like I think people got this whole fat adaptation thing a little bit confused and what it means and and also you know I think a lot of people associate low fat sorry low carb high fat with losing weight and being a better way to lose weight and actually that major big study that came out just a few months ago that showed that actually whether you're doing low carb high fat or low fat high carb you actually as long as the calories are kind of the same there seems to be the same outcome for everybody in terms of, of weight loss it's just some people prefer to use high fat because I think they it, it makes them feel a bit fuller for longer, mm. whereas other people prefer to use carbohydrate. And I think that in itself is a really good indicator of the fact that the human population is so varied that you are going to have variations of what people can do and what they can cope with and what's sustainable. And I think that's the bit that's important is that whatever diet you choose, the way I look at it is you choose something that's sustainable that you know is not going to have any major long-term effects on your health um, and actually is something that's enjoyable. I, I would always say to somebody, don't ever do something that you don't want to do because you feel you have to. I mean, I was talking to a, a new client this morning and we were going through his food diary and, and I said, I said, well, why are you drinking this kale and spinach shake every day? What's that? What, what's that all about? And he said, well, I read somewhere that it's really good for detoxing the liver and I was like, right, okay. I said, well, do you like it? He said, no, it's awful. I was like, well, honestly, your liver's very good at detoxing. You don't need anything additional to help you detox. So if you don't like it, don't have it. And he literally was like, oh, really? I'm like, well, yeah, why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? And I just, that to me is a concept I don't understand because I just think while I work in high performance, and obviously performance is key, just like when, you know, enjoying your running is so important to being a good runner, equally enjoying your food is really important in terms of having a good relationship with food and, and looking forward to it is equally as important in terms of well-being. And, and, and I'm a big, like, I don't look at somebody and go, we're just going to focus on performance. I, I tend to look at somebody and go, right, you know what, performance is what we're aiming for. But in order to support that performance, I need to make sure you're healthy. I need to make sure you've got that mental resilience and your well, you know, your well-being. And 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 I think there are, there's there's loads of levels of that in terms of how you do that and how you support your athlete. It's more than just here's your nutrition plan and off you go. It's giving them confidence and it's giving them. Um, strategies and it's helping them to understand that food is so much more than just fuel as well so i think there's so much information you said right at the beginning everybody's an expert well yeah everybody has an opinion about food because we all eat it but that doesn't mean that what works for one person is going to work for another and i think what makes you a good practitioner is also being really open and and flexible like you know again there are practitioners out there who've done PhDs in certain topics and then that's their one topic that they want to put on everybody mm. and it's like yeah but you can't because the population is so different you know you've, you've got to you've got to be more flexible and I suppose I react to the individual I suppose that's 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 what 
I think people like is that I'm kind of, I never say to them, um, I always say to my clients, you know what, you need to talk to me, you need to keep the lines of communication open and you need to give me feedback because if you're not comfortable with something or something's not working for you that I've put in place, if you don't tell me, I can't change it for you. I can't help you and I can't learn about you. And that to me is so important. And I don't think there are many practitioners that will say, please tell me if I'm doing a shit job. But mm. I will. Like I put my hands up. I'm completely happy for people to tell me, go, really, that's not working for me. Um, and that's how you get to know somebody because otherwise you, you can't. When you, when, you, when you first get all these uh, nutritional assessments, when you first start working with mm. someone, is... <clears throat> Is it more often than not? Are you going? Oh God, they've got it completely wrong. Or yeah, because you because like David said everyone's an expert. Or you think you know? Or, or, or are, do people generally sort of know their stuff? Is there how how sort of sophisticated are are people generally about getting their nutrition right? Is it are people way off? Or or or, or is anyone everyone sort of generally getting it right? Or are there some just massive surprises in there? Uh, I. It's a mixed bag, to be fair. Um, some people, I will go, I have no idea how I'm going to improve this right. because they've, they've got it spot on. And I'll say that to them. I'll say, like, actually, you know what, you, you've pretty much got this. Um, you know, the only thing is I might, you know, change portion sizes a little bit or adjust a couple of things. But in terms of content, they've got it right. Other people, you look at it and you think, right, you have read every single blog <laughs> and... <laughs> article going and i have no idea where i'm going to start with you so you kind you, of think okay or you've listened to david's dodgy advice that's it hey, <laughs> hey. shot blocks and bullets so you need people shot blocks and bullets. <laughs> um and then others i think genuinely a lot of people i've seen recently are just not eating enough right mm. like they just they have no concept of what they should eat and they don't understand why they're tired or, you know, or they're not quite hitting the paces they need to hit. And and I think that's that in some ways that's very satisfying because it's like it's quite an easy fix and, and you can you can help them. So it really is a mixed bag. And I suppose the most difficult, the most challenging, not difficult, the most challenging people are the ones that probably have read a lot and you know, I've been to a lot of races and, and obviously at ultra run races, we talk to each other. You know, that's what you do, isn't it? You, you're together for 10 hours plus and you talk to each other. And so you do get, oh, I, I, you know, I met this guy and he said he'd been doing this. So I thought I'd try it and, and fine, try it. But if it doesn't work for you, don't beat yourself up about it because actually it's not your fault. It doesn't work for you. It's just not working for you. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big thing is remember that everybody's allowed a choice. I mean, I'm vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for 13 years, but I don't believe that's the right way for people to eat. You know, for everybody, that's just what works for me. And so that's why I do it. But it's all very individual, I think. Um, and that's the bit that I think is, is I hope is coming across is that there is no one size fits all. And yes, I've written books on it. And I've tried to give ballpark figures and, and, and advice and, and kind of help people to tailor their nutrition according to what they're doing through the books. Um, but again, I do say it again and again and again, you have to practice, practice, practice to work out what works for you. Um, and that, that's kind of the, the bottom line, really. But so, so aside from like things then, okay, sort of turning that around, aside from, say, like the low carb thing, is there any other things, though, that you think, no? You like looking, you're like, no, stop doing that right or, now. Or any mistakes that a lot of people tend to make that they don't realise? 
Oh, good questions. Um, there's a big fixation around protein, particularly for recovery. I think I see a lot of people thinking that as long as they eat a load of protein after a big training session or, or a run or whatever, or a, or a race, then that's going to sort them out. And they kind of forget about the fact that they've just emptied and depleted all their carb stores and they need to replete carb, carb stores as well. So there's an element of that. So I see a lot of people who are very confused about protein, see a lot of, um, a lot of supplements these days, a lot of people trying every single thing and not really understanding how you use it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do things, but like, you know, I've had people doing beetroot and cherry active and currants and um, like everything, just everything. And you're thinking, okay, well, well firstly, that's costing you an absolute fortune. And, and secondly, you, you haven't really worked understood what this is about. So like with beetroot, for example, there's an element that, you know, by taking beetroot juice, you're increasing your nitrates, which can help with oxygen uptake, which can then obviously improve your performance. But again, if you look at the studies, it's not suitable for everybody. So we see a big marked improvement initially with people who are not very trained. And in certain distances, it, it makes no difference at all. Um, and then for most people, if you take it, it's not just a one-off. You have to take it to build up the concentration in your blood. So you have to take it five days leading into a race in order to have the right level of nitrate to, to do that. And, and I think that's the other thing is that people have picked up on this nitrate and beetroot. So they just eat loads of beetroot or they eat loads of spinach. And it's like, yeah, but the problem is you don't know how much nitrate is in that piece of beetroot or in that portion of spinach and it's very difficult to to know that because it depends on what, how it was grown and what's been used as fertilizer and, and all that kind of stuff so that's been an interesting one the same with cherry active you know people taking cherry active left right and center it's a brilliant product like i think it's great and it's very very useful and i've used it with lots of athletes but again it's knowing how and when to use it and Cherry Active is very useful, again, around races. So if you take it five days leading into a race, through the race, and then two days after, we know that you have a much better recovery rate and less muscle damage after a big a big race. But the other time I've used it more recently has been with jet lag. So with the Commonwealth guys, for example, there's been a lot of um, – there's been some in, uh, studies coming through that the, – the, the kind of the big component that cherry active component the tart cherry um also helps to build sorry helps produce melatonin which obviously is your sleep hormone so we've used it to manipulate sleep when they've been traveling to, to kind of make sure that they're rested and ready and able to get training as soon as possible so you know the, i always think oh my goodness some people must just rattle when they wake up in the morning and walk down the stairs because they take so many supplements and <laughs> and i understand why because there's so much information out there but in all honesty you don't need to take everything all the time the one supplement i guess i tend to suggest everybody takes in this country is vitamin d just because mm -hmm we have so little vitamin, we, we absorb so little sunlight. And it's the one that also can have the most impact on your performance because people don't realize that it can have a real, real, sorry, my dog's doing something strange. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he pulling out a chair? No. <laughs> I mean, it's a sophisticated dog. Yeah, yeah disagree, okay. disagrees with the vitamin D uh, yeah, exactly. analysis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the, um, 
so with the vitamin D is that it's really important in muscle like um, muscle recovery particularly and so people can get like real muscle pain if their vitamin D is very low they don't recover as well and the biggest thing is you can have a really depressed immune system which obviously means you're more susceptible to infections mm. and illness and, and things like that so vitamin D is the one I tend to recommend and obviously it's a key 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 component of bone health which is so important for for runners um and i guess the only other one is probably probiotics but again for similar reasons that probiotics can be very helpful for um for gut health particularly but also for immune health again you have to be really careful about what you use and where you get it from and, and what type it is because actually from a clinical point of view there are only very few probiotics out there that have been clinically proven to actually work and that's because majority of probiotics are in a capsule form so when you when you take them the the stomach sees them as food and so the acid actually then denatures the the bacteria that is of so, such importance but there are a couple of um like products kombucha, out there. kombucha or yeah, yeah, so those are kind of the natural forms. And then there's there's a there's some other products out there that have been formulated specifically and they're in a liquid, they're in a water suspended um format. And that makes a big difference because that basically then passes through the stomach. It doesn't get affected by acid and then can go and work directly on the gut and that makes a big a big difference. So um I think people just I don't think that's ever spoken about. I think, you know, again, people who like to talk about nutrition and like to see knowledgeable say yeah take a probiotic but actually it's important again to explain what so works what, what would they be called for example the water-based so the water-based are... ones one of the only ones i know in the country obviously like you've talked about the kefir and the, and the um, kombucha already but things like simprove are very good um and that's it had loads of clinical trials and it works very very well and i know i've used it with lots of athletes with with very real positive um impact so it's it's a good one to just become aware of i'm sure there are others but i've not i've not found another one that um is so highly tested and i think from my point of view that's such an important part of my job to make sure that whatever i provide is credible um so you, you you've mentioned a little bit during this uh, the 24-hour training about protein fats on certain days but the other topic we'd mentioned was eating each day differently dependent on what your your training is um i'd say most people that listen to the podcast they do a long run they might do an interval session uh, they probably do a kind of faster session a kind of tempo session 10k pace half marathon pace uh, marathon pace runs if you were to like i guess simply look at those three different and then you've got your recovery days as well that's probably mm. the fourth the, the four different days in our week yeah how would you approach those differently so the way i i get people to think about it is if it's really good when you've got a bit of a plan like when you know when you're doing those hard sessions because it's mm. especially when you're working it's really and you've got a family or whatever else you, you want to be as as planned and organized as you possibly can so if you know that you're going to go and do a tuesday night track session for example mm -hmm. and that's set in stone so you know those sessions are hard you're going to be working you know an anaerobically a lot of the time in that threshold above threshold so you're going to be using a lot of carbohydrate to kind of ensure you can hit those sessions and so um 
I would be thinking about fueling that 24 hours beforehand. So not a lot of people I work with go, we'll just think about it literally two hours before they go to the track. But mm. actually you need to be thinking about that at least 24, if not 12 hours before to make sure you've got carbohydrate available to really smash out that session. And we've all been there probably where we've not eaten very well during the day. We've gone into a, a track session and then we've got halfway around and thought, oh, I've got nothing in the tank, can't do this. Mm. And and you'll probably find if you if you've, experience that you'll probably find that if you think back to what you ate that it makes complete sense so from my point of view I'd be sort of suggesting that you tend to when I say eat carb more carb based I don't mean you need to eat go and eat masses of plates of pasta that's where people get really confused with what I say about things but what I mean is that you eat carbohydrate probably in, at every meal and probably mm. snack leading into that Tuesday night session and in terms of amounts I'd always say like it should be about a third of your plate from a carbohydrate point of view. That's that's enough. That's a good portion size. You know, a third of your plate for at your at your meals leading into that um, evening session, and then snacks would be half of that. So, for example, you know, you might have chicken and rice the night before. You might have you know your porridge for your breakfast. Um, some sort of wrap and a cereal bar at lunchtime, and then you might have some oat cakes and some peanut butter and banana before you go to the track you know you because you, so you get the, you get the impression that you, you mm. you're taking on carbs at every opportunity but you're not overloading because that's where people get confused um if you're doing a long run then i think it depends on what you're trying to test on that long run so remember that long run is sometimes about testing time on feet sometimes it's about testing fueling strategies sometimes it's about just getting out there and putting the miles in and so depends on what you're trying to do I mean if you're wanting to simulate race day then actually mm. you want to be thinking about what you're going to eat the night before what you're going to have for breakfast and then what you're going to take on during your run and really practice with that so that you you become familiar with it and you know it works for you if you're um if you're just wanting to kind of get out there and, and practice the kind of um, fat adaptation or the improvement of using fat for fuel, then you want to try and do that in a fasted state and potentially even think about the night before limiting the amount of carbohydrate you eat. Mm. So that night it might be a, you know, it might be a, um, a three egg and cheese omelet or something. So it's more mm. protein and fat based. And then you go into that session um depleted knowing it's going to hurt probably and be quite mm. uncomfortable but you're not going fast that's the whole point you can't go fast and you won't go fast but you still stay hydrated and you use electrolytes to kind of you know to uh, ensure that you can just you're, you're replacing salt and, and fluid so that's one way of doing the long run you know or like i said testing out your strategy um what was the other runs you mentioned uh, probably a tempo run where you're you're maybe running at 10k pace, half marathon pace, marathon pace, depending on what you. I guess if you're going for ultra training, you're probably doing a marathon pace session up to about 10 miles. So I'd probably take a similar strategy to the um, track session, similar mm. sort of strategy that you're kind of thinking about it a good 24 hours, around 24 hours beforehand, um, and then the way it works is that obviously if you're doing if you're doing that, let's say your tempo runs on a on a Thursday and then you maybe got a rest day on a Friday before you do another hard session on the Saturday, then obviously after that that tempo session on the Thursday, you can be a little bit more relaxed for the first 12 hours in terms of, 
you know, you don't, you, you want to replace the carbs immediately after that session. That's really, really important. Um, but then actually you could go more protein-based snacks, but still keep the carbs around the evening meals and, 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 and the, the main meals. And I think that's, that's how I manipulate things mainly is I try and keep meals as, as sort of stable as possible, but mm. I play around with the, with the snacks so that if I think, someone who's going to benefit from less carbohydrate, I'll put more protein-based snacks in. And if someone's going to need carbohydrates, I'll add more carb-based snacks and kind of play around with it in that way. But it, it is all very dependent because obviously everybody I work with also has a different outcome that they want. So some people want to lose weight. That's their outcome. Some people want to get faster. Some people want to just get get around their race. So it does depend on the individual as well in into what, how you manipulate it for the week and, and actually i just thought one other session that people might be doing is a kind of weight session or strength session which might be down the gym could be a, a british major fitness class something like that would you prepare for that differently um i think i think that the misconception people have is that when you do weight training you don't need carbs because they believe that you just need protein to build muscle um, and obviously you do need a certain amount of protein in terms of you need it for your muscle protein synthesis and you need it to prevent too much um, neg protein breakdown in the actual session. But you also do need carbohydrate because what you're doing there, especially in those big strength sessions, you're you're actually trying to develop neuro, neuro pathways. So, you know, that takes that takes energy, that takes carbohydrates. So I think again that's probably one of the fallacies i see is that people who do quite a lot of strength training don't eat carbs and and i would say you do need to take on carbs um and again i think where this whole thing falls down is that when we talk about carbohydrate i believe that the impression people have when i say eat carbs at a meal i think what will pop into most people's head is a massive plate of pasta with very little else but actually, when I'm saying eat carbs at your meal, I'm talking about a plate where a third of your plate is pasta, a third of your plate is, say, chicken, a third of your plate is veg, which is very different. And which is why I think where the confusion comes in that carbs are so bad for you, because it is very easy to overconsume carbs. We know that. But actually, if you get the portions right, there's no harm in eating it at every single meal and actually using it as really good fuel. So it's almost everything in moderation, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it's that boring word, David. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can even explain that one. <laughs> and um, for recovery, then, I mean, I think we've we've probably we haven't said it explicitly, but it sounds like we've probably covered it. Similar again, just the regular meals of a a balance of everything, and uh, just making sure you're getting enough carbs and some protein. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, again, it does depend on on what you're recovering from. So what you might find is a lot of people find after a hard session, particularly they really struggle with mm. taking on fuel. Like if I've done a hard session or even a long session, my stomach needs a couple of hours to sort of settle before I can absorb, um, before I can start thinking about food again. But it's also the critical time for two, two main reasons in terms of, firstly, you want to replenish carbs and protein back in so you can start that recovery process as quickly as possible, especially if you've got another training, training session either later that day or, or the next day. But the biggest reason is because, so when we exercise, particularly when we're doing endurance exercise, we release a hormone called ghrelin 
Now, when ghrelin is high, it actually puts us off our appetite. It doesn't make us want to eat. But it also, when ghrelin is high, it reduces another hormone called leptin. Leptin is really, really critical because leptin is our appetite hormone. It's also the hormone that sends signals to the brain and the body saying, this body is starving. So whether you're a normal weight or not, if you have a continually high ghrelin level and your leptin level is low, you will find that um, your metabolism will slow down. And that is the reason why so many endurance runners will say to me, I'm doing everything right, I'm trying really hard, I've reduced the amount of calories I'm eating, I'm, I'm running loads, but I'm not losing weight. Well, your body won't lose weight because it will slow its metabolism right down. So actually, the one, the, the most important thing about when you're doing endurance training particularly, is making sure that you are eating properly around those training sessions and making sure that even if you've got, even if you don't feel particularly hungry, you're taking on something. So in some cases that might be, you know, having a glass of milk or a milk-based drink or a bowl of yogurt and fruit because that just sits more comfortably than a main meal. But it's really, really important. And, and, and I can't really stress that enough because, again, it's not something that, is talked about openly in podcasts or even in in in, um, in books and things, but it's it's a reason why we see so many athletes actually having problems in terms of hormones and 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 particularly in women menstrual problems and in, and in men testosterone issues because if the body has a um, a low leptin, like I said, it's sending out the message that it's not working efficiently, it's, it's, it's starving. And so it slows everything down, which means it also slows down the signals going to the pituitary. And that, that then has obviously negative consequences on things like bone health and, and cardiovascular health. So it's all connected. So it's really, really important. So eating actually increases your leptin levels. So what happens is eating actually con counteracts the ghrelin levels which then yeah. means that your leptin levels can go back to normal so it's only when you've got a consistently high ah, ghrelin okay. because you're not eating that it reduces the leptin and this is what we see because there is this lag period i think most of us will have experienced it where we've done a hard session you just go i really can't eat for you know then you might be starving three days later um which is which is fine it's not a problem but i think it's just important to highlight that if you're somebody that's stuck in a bit of a rut mm. this could be the reason why you're stuck in a rut it's not that you're not reducing your calories enough it might be that you've reduced your calories too much but you're also putting your body under a lot of stress by training and that's something that you know i think is not often talked about well it's counterintuitive isn't it yeah exactly um, oh, interesting. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think on these topics before we go into our third big chunky one, if there's anything else <laughs> to uh, um, Actually, while, we're, while you're talking about carbs, you talked briefly about trying to take on 60 to 90 car, uh, grams of carbs and you've got your, your fruit taste. And I mean, what are your thoughts on Morton? Uh, without, obviously, try not to talk explicitly about brands, but Morton probably is the only drink of its kind where it, it says because of the way it transports carbohydrates in theory you can basically drink gallons of the stuff without it upsetting your stomach i mean is that something you've factored into the 24-hour team and is it do you should we all be looking to drink as much as that as we can really in longer races so so i know that actually robbie introduced me to morton last year 
and um, I'd never heard of it before then and since then a lot of athletes have brought it to my attention and actually I do think it's genuinely a really good product mm. I'm not convinced you can drink loads of it without having any issues because a lot of athletes have said to me after 12 hours I got fed up which is what mm. happens because of the taste um, yeah. the thing I like about it is that it is a really good punch of carbohydrates so it's a very easy way to ensure you're hitting your carb needs mm. um, but I think most people find there's two formulas there's the 160 and the 320 and i think yeah. the 320 is the one you know in, in an ultra race is probably the most useful but i think you'd still need to make it you'd need to dilute it down a little bit for it to be palatable enough to keep drinking mm. so the guy i spoke to you about from from who went to mds that's what he was training with and actually he really liked it in training and we'd mm. we got it to a point where he diluted it down into 750 mils rather than 500 mils and that was completely doable but when he got to the mds it didn't work for him probably because of the heat and sometimes the heat can have a real negative impact on what you can and can't tolerate um mm. But the only thing, the only one negative I have about Morton is that it's very, very low in sodium. So it's not a completely complete product that I can go, you know what, guys, this is going to meet everything you need every hour because it's not. Now, we can add things to it. And that's what I've done in the past with athletes is we've added like, you know, elite drops or precision hydration or whatever we've needed to to make the salt up. Um, but it, I think that's something again people are not always aware of because similarly with like when tailwind came out a few years ago it was going on and on about tailwind and the reason why tailwind was so good and so successful is because actually it, it addresses the salt issue mm. but it's not as high in carbohydrate so you know you almost want to combine the two products and then you've probably got the the ideal the ideal product but um so i do rate it as a product i definitely rate it um but i think like with anything, I'm not sure there's any one thing you can take, especially in a 24-hour race, that you're going to want all the way through. I just don't think there is, to be fair. Well, beer, clearly. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe, done, yeah. Done more than a 24-hour <laughs> session on that. But, uh, so the, <laughs> the other thing we, we discussed, um, which just came up um, as a conversation, which I hadn't actually thought we'd bring up in this but i found really interesting you mentioned about eating disorders in sports and for me as i said at the top of the, the podcast that to me is quite counterintuitive because as you say you sit down with your athletes and you go through their their nutrition plans you talk about what they should be eating and therefore um I assume most athletes will just do exactly what they're meant to do nutritionally in the same way they'll do what they're meant to do training wise because it's so important to them. So um, how does how does eating disorders, how, how does it happen really in kind of top level sports? So and, and you're right, it is it does seem counterintuitive, um, but actually there's quite a lot of studies that show that there's a 20% higher prevalence of eating disorders in athletes than non-athletes. Um, so there is a big issue. And I think initially it was very much associated with certain types of sports. So it was always associated with obviously weight uh, dependent sports and yeah. like like you know like rowing and um, ballet and things as well right? exactly and obviously things like gymnastics it was very much sort of associated with that, but it also very much associated with distance running because of the whole kind of lighter is better that's kind mm. of where i suppose some of the 
triggers come up. And I have to be really careful because, you know, an eating disorder is a mental illness. It's not something you choose. It's not something you decide, right, I'm going to get an eating disorder and that's what's going to happen. And it's not something you contract. It's an, it's a mental illness. And it's basically a combination of your your environment probably your you know your genetic makeup and your personality that then kind of creates this perfect storm so majority of athletes as we know are very driven they're very ambitious they're highly critical they're obsessive mm -hmm. they're, you know they can be quite sensitive um and these things are obviously important they're the things that drive them and, and make them good and they give them that determination to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing the difficulty comes when that goes into complete overdrive and they're constantly feeling like whatever they do is never enough. Mm. Um, and so they, they become very, very um, almost like their self-worth disappears. And so then they become very critical of themselves and whatever they do, whatever race they do, it's never enough. It's not good enough. And, and they'll start to try and work out why. And it might be that they just, they just hang on to the fact, well, maybe if I was two kilos lighter, I'd run a bit faster or maybe if I just put an extra 20 miles into my training week that will make me a better athlete you know you're always looking for answers to become better like you just take it to the next extreme and the problem is that these next extremes are never enough either and so it, it continues in this way and they get harder and harder and harder on themselves and and once an athlete starts to become deprived of vital nutrients to the brain and also become and starts losing weight. We know that when you lose just ten percent of your body weight, it can have a big impact on your ability to think rationally. And so these irrational, irrational thoughts become the key thing. So they get these very intrusive thoughts, and they can't really. And then they can't think clearly, and and they become very anxious and very and and it feels very uncomfortable. And it's usually that it's that discomfort with anxiety. It's that it's that that discomfort with not being enough that they want to try and control because they don't know what to do with it they don't know how to handle it and they project it onto their training or they project it onto their food intake and so that becomes more and more restricted or more and more extreme and that's where you start to get the problems so and have, you found, have people hidden it from you in their nutrition and what they're saying in their diaries and things and i mean i think i think that does happen um i guess from my point of view, where I work and the level at which I work at, I normally get brought in now when we know it's a problem because I've worked in it for such a long time and I have a way of supporting that athlete and, and helping them through it and getting them to start to change their mindset and challenge those irrational thoughts that they have. And and, and it's a really long process because it's, it's a physical and it's a mental um, disorder so it's helping them to become physically well as well as mentally strong to deal with it because if you want to be an athlete you do need mental resilience you do because you're not going to ace every single race you are going to have days where it doesn't fall to place fall into plan you can't compare yourself to everybody on the on the startup line because the only person you can compare yourself to is yourself and if you're feeling rubbish in yourself you will compare yourself negatively to the other people on on that start line because that's what the irrational brain does and so by the time I get involved to be honest majority of people have already worked out they've got a problem every now and then and it's very rare these days but probably earlier on in my career um I would pick up on it like you know an athlete would come in and say 
oh, I'm, I'm just not performing very well and I don't understand why and I want you to check my diet and, and make sure that I, you know, do I need to cut back or do I need to change my carbohydrate sources or it'll become, it'll be a little bit more sort of fixated, I guess, than what you would you would expect if that makes sense and and so then I can I mean I've I've again I think because of the clinical background I can pick up on all sorts of cues like body language on what's written in their nutrition plan on even the way they communicate with me you know I think that's something you can't teach somebody that's just something you learn that's something you you start to become aware of and I suppose that's it I do have an instinct for when somebody is not doing well when it's become extreme when it's becoming out of control should we say um mm. and and it's a serious problem you know it's a serious serious problem i mean often when the, the, the time that most athletes come to me is when they've been injured and they've been injured a lot or they've been injured for a long time so often stress fractures is the big one and by that point you kind of know if they've got a stress fracture not that every single stress fracture is related to to poor nutrition but mm. a majority of them are um, and it's often related to, you know, a poor relative, like not enough um, energy availability, which then means that the body's pulled back, which means then it's starting to kind of take nutrition from every part of the of the body. And so the 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 skeleton framework breaks down. And so that's why they become more, more susceptible to, to stress fractures. And also, you know, testosterone and estrogen are key hormones that protect the bones. And so if, if they're not at the right levels because energy availability is not is not sufficient then then that's you know that's going to have an have an impact on on bone health i mean it's it's very complex i mean I, when i work with somebody i look i do loads of blood tests um i get a big history of what's been going on for them get a real idea of what their training level is i'll talk to coaches i mean it's not just a one man band i mean i'm i'm very fortunate that i will always bring in others so we have a very multidisciplinary team-led approach to to helping people um and it's it, it takes time it takes a long time to get people back on back on track but people can get back on track and athletes can change but they have to want to change and i think the hardest thing is the biggest thing i find difficult is the whole weight thing so like mm. everybody believes the lighter they are the faster they're going to go because we've been told this for years the problem is it depends on where you start. So if you are already within that normal range for your height and the lower end of that normal range for your height, which you most likely are if you're that kind of elite level athlete because you wouldn't have got to that point probably unless you were in the best shape you were in. Dropping at that point will actually be negative impact. That's not a positive sign that is going to lose power lose speed but the problem is what happens is while their performance will start to their performance may improve initially mm. because they've lost a bit of weight and then it starts to become um, affected but instead of ex understanding that their performance is dropping because they're too low in weight they think they need to be even lower because they'd initially seen that drop that yeah. improvement when it drops and so this is yeah. yeah and this is where we get a real problem um and i i really do think it's a big issue and I don't really know how we get the message out to people that you know what if you're already in the normal weight zone you don't need to lose any more weight you just need to think about all the other elements of your training like 
you know, running economy, running efficiency, running technique. And I'm focusing on running because of the podcast. But, you know, those technique things are really important. But even things like that, there's a really good paper that demonstrates that your consistency in training is so critical to your performance outcome. So if you can consistently hit those marathon race paces or half marathon race paces in your training at a high percentage of the time, then you're more likely to be able to achieve that in your race, not whether you're a kilo lighter or not. And I think that's the bit, I mean, I get really upset about it because I'm getting lots of really good, talented juniors that are coming through who are affected by it. And, you know, when you've got 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds who've already got osteoporosis in their spine Mm -hmm. because of because of their, the extreme nature of what they do to themselves. And I'm not blaming sport. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying this is the nature of what happens. Um, it's really upsetting because it's like, how do I, I now have to kind of help them to understand that what they've done and what they've believed in and the direction they want to go in at the moment is detrimental to their health. And if they carry on the way they are, they, they're not going to make it. And, and, you know, like, I was talking to one of my athletes this morning and she's she's been very you know she's been very open about her her difficulty she's 25 now and she's a professional triathlete and she had real issues as a junior like just just badly managed lots of expectations she didn't know how to deal with it herself I don't think she had the right support and by the time she was 22 maybe 23 she had had five stress fractures in 18 months and basically came to me and said, I don't know what to do. I, I, I have no idea what to eat anymore. I don't know how to do this. I don't know who to listen to. Um, and I feel like I've blown it. I feel like I've blown my chance. I'm never going to be a pro ever again because I've just, I, I keep breaking every time I, you know. And um, and I just said, look, we'll get you there, but you're going to have to really, really change everything. You have to change your training. You have to change how you monitor yourself. You're going to have to manage your expectation. And we need to get your nutrition back on track. We need to get your periods back. She hadn't had a period for eight years. So we need, that's like a big, big thing. And she rang me this morning because she raced at the Volcano Triathlon at the weekend and she smashed it. And she did brilliantly. And that's her first kind of big major comeback race after two and a half years. Mm. And she rang me to say, we did it. I was like, no, you did it. But yeah, you did it because you started to believe in the people around you. And you started to take on board that actually I have to look after myself holistically before I can just focus on performance, performance, performance. And I think... I don't know how many juniors listen to your podcast, but if there are any juniors listening to your podcast, the big thing I'd say is you've got a long time. If you want to make it, if you want to, you know, you want to have a career in sport, whether it's running, triathlon, cycling, you've got time and you can't, you don't have to do it all now and actually think about the longevity and really look after yourself now because it's the ones that look after themselves when they're younger who are the ones that are going to actually make it in terms of moving forwards. And so, um, that would be my kind of big thing because it is such a huge problem definitely yeah i mean i think you're right it is that holistic view on things and a a lot of junior people they don't tend to have nutritionists in the same way and they the things they're told and they're is mainly their coach and while their coach is probably very good on training I think it, it does take a while for people to catch up and there is an old school way of thinking. And, you know, me as a runner, if I look at Mo Farah, he is tiny. And so 
I and in fact I was saying this to to Briggs and my missus uh, looking at uh, another runner we go uh, that we know who's very quick and like look at this guy that like if if I just don't think I I you know I, I'll ever be as fast as him and I don't think I could ever see myself losing that much weight to be that quick but in my head I do have that association that if I lost weight that I would get quicker uh, maybe I could lose a, a pound or two but actually you know I, I'm pretty skinny and yeah. very, that's very defeatist David I think you should at least give it a go <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's not as if I you know I'm, I'm sure I have my if I had my body mass uh, my fat um, percentage tested it would be incredibly low and um there's probably not much like a gain there, but because you do see very, very top athletes, people like Chris Froome as well, you know, they are, they always seem to be constantly on the edge of almost being ill because they've got such low body fat. And it does seem that that's what it, it takes. That's, you know, that's the, the message that is projected by the media. Um, but I think the thing is to remember is that so when you're working these professional you know, these professional teams and thing is that you periodize it. So in the same way you periodize your nutrition, you periodize their weight. So yes, you know, like I've worked with where I know that they, you know, they're very adamant they need to be a certain weight. So up until that point, we are going to keep you healthy and well. And then we will work slowly towards that point. And I know potentially during that period of time they may well skip a period if it's female or their their testosterone may go off a little bit if it's a male. But then as soon as that race is over, you you know, you want them to put that restore that weight back on again. So they have a period of time where they're just training and looking after their body and restoring and and then you start that cycle again. And that's the way you have to do it. I get it. I understand it. I'm not trying to go against old school mentality or coaches or, or anything like that. But I think it's about looking after your athlete. And I don't think that we need to be starting this amount of pressure in the youngsters, as, you know, in running clubs yeah. and things like that. I just, I just, I feel for me, that's, that's a big no, no. And I'm not, again, I don't want to tell people what to do, but it's just what I see. And, you know, you've got to appreciate that I just, the, the area I work in, I see the extremes. And so that's probably yeah. why I'm so passionate about it because I just, I, I don't want to see any more 20 year olds with an osteoporotic spine. I don't because it's just, it's, yeah. it's not fun for anyone, you know? And, and I've heard more than one case of that actually, of, of uh, seems to be females more pre- prevalent. Um, maybe that's just coincidence, but um, yeah, where there've been stories of incredibly good athletes who are essentially retiring at the age of 20 because they, uh, they're broken and mm. they, they yeah. don't want to have to continue living that type of life. And, they're not being healthy, as you as yeah. you say. Um, but I think the thing the the thing that's really important here, though, is just also just that this is nobody's fault. Like I don't want people to go away thinking, oh, she's blaming the coach or she's blaming the sport. It's not that. It's it's the environment and it's the individual mm-hmm. and it's the way in which that's managed. And that's what I think needs educating to everybody, to the coaches, to the athletes, to the sports. It's not that you know, what your coach says is what causes you to have an eating disorder. That, that, that really isn't the case. And I'm really, really strongly believe that. I mean, I've sat in coaches forums where I've had to do coach development stuff with them and coaches are petrified of what to say to athletes because mm. they're like, well, if we get, if we say that they're going to think we're going to, you know, it's going to cause an eating disorder and then we're going to lose our jobs. And it's like, well, no, because what you say is not necessarily what causes the eating disorder. That's already 
almost harboring inside the individual mm. but it's being aware that the majority of athletes probably are at a high risk and it's thinking about the culture and how do you change that culture and how do you then encourage athletes to understand that they don't have to get a pb every single time they go and and race you know actually they can have a session where it goes a bit wrong and it's it's about those things it's about kind of creating that environment where sport's still fun at that age mm. it doesn't become this you're not going to be able to help everybody because individuals are determined and fixated i mean i'm a very very driven person i'm not necessarily in my my sport but when it comes to work i have had times where probably i've definitely overworked i've ended up in a in a not in a great way mentally because I just haven't given myself time off and it will take a friend or someone to say to me really you know what you just need to just stop for a bit otherwise you're going to completely crash and you know we all do it we all have our we all have our Achilles heels but it's being able to be aware of it and working out how do you manage that how do you you know how do you take the the, the sort of the, the your foot off the pedal as well and not and actually that's the bit I think you know I don't want anybody listening to this thinking it's anybody's responsibility it's everybody's responsibility and it's something just to be very aware aware of and mindful of mm, yeah absolutely um well i think we've uh, we've covered those fairly well those three <laughs> <laughs> yeah um one thing i wanted to ask um which is completely unrelated to these but is uh it's just forefront of my discussions with a friend of mine currently is coconut oil good or bad for you? Oh, God, you're asking me that a quarter to ten at night. Um, <laughs> is coconut oil good for you or bad for you? I. So at the end of the day, yeah. coconut oil is still a fat that has a high saturated fat content. So like anything, and I know we've already used that moderation word, but like anything, if you over-consume it, you are going, you are giving, you know, you are adding to potential problems with heart disease. Um, that said, it's also one of the only oils that you can use at a very high heat without it becoming denatured and becoming a problem. So it can also be a useful source of um, the cooking, particularly. So like with everything, I would say I would never over-consume coconut oil. I would be very mindful, and I think a lot of people like using it because it adds flavor to curries and, and things like that as well. Um, is that I would use it, but I probably wouldn't use it every single time, if I'm honest. Okay. So it's not good for you, basically. It's got to no. be yes or no. It's, but it's me or else. Who's right? Me or else. I'm saying, because my other friend said no, it's no. She's saying yes. Who's right? <laughs> I would say no. Yes. I wouldn't promote it personally. Okay, okay. You've heard that, Els. Not from me. Not from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for um for coming on the show. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up, JD, or any other question to dig dig into? No, no, I don't think so. I think we've covered everything pretty uh, pretty thoroughly. Um, of course, you know, um, talking about nutrition from the perspective of you know doing long runs and then building nutrition into it i think there's a there's a lot of do badders who've, who've gone the other way and done it the right way of building up the nutrition first and then, <laughs> and then adding adding racing into that to try and justify it so um it's more but, they just got lost on the way home. yeah yeah exactly i know they've accidentally that's why there's so many there's so many ultra runners in the group um <laughs> 
but yeah, no, uh, yeah, just like absolutely fascinating. We, I mean, yeah, I, I, I could have started asking you questions about being vegan and stuff, and uh, so oh, yeah. another conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then we'll get into that. But uh, but yeah, like fascinating, and uh, like I'm I'm surprised how many notes you've taken, David. I don't think I've ever seen you take as many notes in an interview <laughs> before. Well, a lot of them were questions as well. But yeah, um, I've written down cherry active, vitamin D, and Simproof. So, uh, and, and gremlins and leptins. Gremlin, gremlin, yeah. <laughs> gremlins. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. For, um, for the Do Badders at Home, uh, you've obviously written quite a few different books. Um, there's lots of ways in getting contact to you, the blog. Um, I mean, what's the, for, for the endurance runner out there, which of the books would you recommend as the, the first read? I'd probably say um, Fast Fuel for Running is the better. Run. Yeah, it's probably the best one for endurance athletes. Um, and then if you feel like you might have a slightly dysfunctional relationship with food, then I'd go for orthorexia. But hopefully that's not too many of you. Oh, I think, I think there's a lot of them in the group. <laughs> Don't worry. I think if orthorexia is the, is the way of describing them, then that's it. <laughs> we do have a gentleman in the group who, uh, who ate 10,000 calories in one day with wow. the sole intention of burning off 10,000 calories the next day, which he, he did. Um, wow superhero or super fool I, I think the first but something for, for the latter for that <laughs> i'd say impressive so yeah superhero from my point of view superhero <laughs> and um if, if people do want to, to kind of stay in touch or reach out to you what's the best way to contact you um probably my email um or the website so the website's reneemcgregor.com it's nice and easy and the email is um rm at reneemcgregor.com so again nice and easy for people to to hear i am on twitter and i am on instagram but i never ever remember my handles so <laughs> you could probably find me <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on it's been really really interesting really really useful and um you mentioned that you've got a book in mind for next year so once you've got that ready to promote <laughs> do come back because no doubt the do badders will be asking lots of questions but also um probably science would have moved on a little bit more and we'll be able to discuss whatever you're yeah. researching in that book as well absolutely no i'd love to come back on that'd be absolutely great um just need to write the book first <laughs> <laughs> yeah good luck with that yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> well thanks again and we shall no uh stay in touch okay. that's really yeah well. take care cheers bye, bye. Oh, that was good that was very good that was it's one of those ones where um you have so much like knowledge imparted that you almost need to go back through it again and take notes um i'm not going to do that someone else can do yeah. that um but um but yeah <laughs> it's just it's just there's, there's so much in there that's incredible yeah absolutely and um well it, it's 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 interesting about the 100 mile because it's something i've never done and i, I assume that's true of most do batters and the rules must be completely different but how do you practice? You can't. It's impossible. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting approach. And yeah, absolutely. You've got to you've got to try these things out before as far as you can. Um, it's because it, it must, it's make and break you know, hours and hours of time in your time. I mean, have you had any problems that you thought on a hundred mile are like that's just a schoolboy error or you wish you'd have done differently? Uh, I don't th- I, I have the same problem that I always have is that I don't start eating early enough because I don't feel like it. Mm. Um, because mm-hmm. if I'm running, if I'm like running a marathon, I don't 
I'll have like some shot blocks and I won't have anything else. That, that'll just be it. So the, the error to make for me is always thinking, well, I'll, you know, I'll run for like four and a bit hours, five hours and not have anything. But then by then it's far too late. Um, that's, that's the only error yeah. I make. Everything else seems to be fine. Although, you know, um, the difficulty, um, which I don't know whether I mentioned this or not in the, in the, in the episode when we talked about the race report was that I, since, since going vegan, your options at the, um, the, the, aid stations were severely limited so actually i should have taken more with me um but that's but that's it nothing's been a massive massive issue for me um yeah but, i mean that is that is a a, dis, a distinct disadvantage if you have to carry more because there aren't provisions then it's annoying for you but say you were racing for a win and you're suddenly having to carry half a kilogram extra of food but, but for you know and this actually this is a point that came up uh, recently on the on the centurion running thing where people saying you know um how do we know like they provide tailwind and they said you know uh, what you know what um what percentage do they mix it to and things like that and um because you know in order to rely on it and mm. um and the response was that actually you can't rely on that because there are so many different factors that you know people have you know they might their availability the amount of water they've got the fact that you know they, they don't they, they, basically the aid stations are sometimes in the middle of nowhere um and they can't necessarily mix things up as accurately as as you need them to do they'll do their best but you know tell the tailwind might run out or things like yeah. that so you can't rely on it so actually you have to plan your own your own hydration and nutrition and rely on these things as a um as 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 the bonus as again. a bonus yeah absolutely so it, yeah you you if if you're serious about it on a on a hundred mile i mean if you're if you're at the front i imagine it's very different you you probably you know everything's been set up for the people at the front hasn't it you know the measurement's going to be accurate um everything's fresh you know there's, there's going to be provided for you probably less so for people further back um although they've they've probably got people that give them their food when they need it i know mike did well in yeah well minor. that's it well they have exactly they'll they'll have crew that are, that are providing that all, yeah. all for them um so you don't you know don't necessarily need to do that and that's it i suppose it's just you you need to if you it's much easier to, to run a hundred miler with crew who are providing you with the nutrition that you need in the right doses that you need and the right yeah. measurements and, and everything else that goes with it so so yeah that's 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 what that's what you're gonna focus on yeah yeah, that's interesting. In fact, and that's the same with comrades. I've been looking at different options, and um, you there is an they they have a service where you can pay them to take your bottles or whatever it is you want, and there are tables along the route. Um, and I was partly tempted to it to do it because then I thought I could actually have mixed drinks because I can't be asked to run of a bottle and powder which i then mix at stages it's just going to take up too much time um and too much faff but then actually even that um damien who did it last year couldn't he just completely missed one of the tables and if you go out into a race without everything you need other than water which you'll always be able to get then oh, you are know. just edinburgh. adding in that edinburgh <laughs> Yeah, and it's dead of a mouth, that's true. That's true, that's dead of a mouth. But yeah, you are just leaving yourself open to something else you're not controlling that yeah. could go wrong. Um, and the thing is, if you if you mess something up yourself, that's infinitely better than if someone else messes something up for you. Because 
you can be angry at yourself and you'll get over it. Whereas if someone else has ruined your race, oh, it's just so you become so bitter. It's so hard to forgive something like that. I saw, um, I saw, I saw but, you. I saw you asking the question. You went to the ultra running community group to ask that question, didn't you, about nutrition? Yeah, about Morton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were asking it, and I have to say, I literally did not understand a single response that anyone gave. It was like it was like you were all talking like absolute gobbledygook. I had no idea what anyone was talking about. And I think yeah, and it and I think I think I think Rini actually answered it for you, didn't she? On the on that thread. Yeah, she was great. She was perfect. And um, so, for the people who hadn't seen the thread, in essence, as you probably know, my strategy in races is um, shot blocks all the way. And then caffeine bullet for my ca- uh, for my caffeine kick. Um, my only concern is that uh, you know you, you do get doesn't doesn't matter what it is you use you do get sick of the same thing over and over again. So I was wondering, firstly, if I could use um, Morton because it is it's really soft on the stomach. But also my my main question was because you've got different amounts of carbs that you can necessarily take in an hour so for example if you just have shot blocks you can do 60 grams of an hour which is about a pack and a third um if you use dual track gels which nectar is i think lucasaid now is uh talk is um then you can use up to 90 grams of carbs and uh, in an hour and morton is 90 grams of carbs in an hour but my question was if i for example take my shot blocks and that brings me up to my 60, can I then use Morton for my extra 30, or does it actually conflict and clash? So that was one of the questions. Um, but then the, the Morton, it, it's, it's meant to be great, but if you're not running in an ultra where you take a big bag of you, then it's a real faffing. You've got to carry all this stuff in your pockets, and you've got to find water to mix in a bottle. But also, it turns out you've got to mix it at the right dilution because <laughs> if it hits your stomach when it's not the right dilution, then it doesn't actually work um, because it's the way the acid reacts with something to do with the oh, – I can't remember now. That, that means that it, it allows the carbs to, tr- to pass through your stomach um, easier and so therefore that's a risk if you haven't got the right dilution but also if you then go in hard water places or the wrong type of water that then is an issue and it might not dissolve in the same way and you just end up with blobs so i'm like there's no way i'm going to use this in a race where i in theory have to test the water in south africa when i get there but then actually I don't know if it's going to be the same water as they're using. There's the bottled water, and then I've got to get my dilution figures right. And yeah, so I'm just going to get shut blocks all the way. But yeah, Rennie was really good. But the the amount of people I find in Facebook groups where if you ask a question, they don't answer your question. They just give you advice about something else. Like if you go in there saying, classic example, I saw someone saying. Um, when you go for a really long race and you want to get back afterwards, what do you do to stop yourself kind of nodding off at the wheel? And so many people were saying, don't drive that night. No, you've got to stay in a hotel or in like, great. So I could never race any race ever on a Sunday. How about you just answer the question I've asked? And so the number of people saying, 
you can't do this you can't test it's only a month away you can't test this now you can't blah blah, blah. you shouldn't do this now you shouldn't be twitch switching you know like, look, i'm not i'm not looking for you to pass judgment on my statement i'm just looking for advice on the questions i've asked but um but yeah rennie's she's been this couple of times i've seen her come in and she knows exactly what she's talking about to do with all the different um nutrition brands and the combinations and um and i think it's because all of the the racers in the 24-hour team all have their preferences and therefore she has to figure out if they're using this what's the knock-on effect with with that product or with their caffeine or with their electrolytes or um yeah with their solids with so um yeah really really interesting to see her view on on fueling but what surprised me as well uh, a few things actually one of them is i think my diet must be unusual amongst runners in that it's always always carbs right are you different so she, when she's saying about um because I, I was really intrigued before to find out how you should change your diet for tr- you know for your training that week and almost eat accordingly day to day but actually what she really said was if you've got a heavy session tomorrow make sure you eat you know reasonable amount of carbs the day before which seems to just be having carbs as part of your meal and for me i'd say that i i'm almost carb loading every single day just in the amount of sweets and cliff bars and toast bagels um everything i eat is is it's i'd say it's 70 percent carbs at all times but am i unusual in that no i don't think so i think most people eat majority carbs don't they most people most most runners unless you're unless you're like a like a like bodybuilding or something like that your the majority of your calories are going to come from carbs yeah that's what i thought um but it was it's a, it's almost it was sounded as if people um she was having to remind people to have carbs like the day before an interval session or a tempo session. Um, but the other thing I found really interesting was um, the counterintuitive, I guess, that to do with leptin and ghrelin, that when you finish your workout, like a hard run or a long run, I think particularly if you're trying to lose weight um, or if you're just trying to listen to your body, you're not always hungry. Um, part of it is because you're burning fat at that stage. Um, but as she was saying, it's because you, um, you've got a huge amount of ghrelin that's in there and that you actually need to eat to get rid of ghrelin so that you can then um, no longer suppress leptin so that your metabolism picks up again. And so um, in, unintuitively, by eating after you train, you actually... Help, it helps you lose weight in the long run, which is really interesting to know. Well, and, and probably more people don't need to know that. That's something real buzz needs to be writing about. <laughs> but would would you say that you eat often after um, after a hard training? Is it something you're aware of in like you know that twenty minute recovery window? No, I thought always thought that's a load of bollocks. So I've never done it. I've never been. I, the thing is, I'm not, I, I don't. I haven't. I don't really change what I eat based on on am I training at all I would mm. say that the only time I change what I eat is approaching a race 
like within mm. like the first like last few days and stuff. I wouldn't say I change anything at all. I wouldn't say like I increase. Uh, certainly not around individual sessions. Um, and you hear so much conflicting advice about oh oh you need to have a certain amount of um, uh, of protein when you wake up or you need to have a certain amount of carbs within you know thirty minutes of of exercise. Um, and but you, there's so much conflicting stuff. Um, it's after a while I just like just started ignoring it and just didn't really change anything. Um, I think you know if you have if you do like a weight session or something, I think mm. it's important to 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 um, end up in the gym or whatever. Then it is important to have um, uh, yeah some element of recovery very quickly after that. But not if you're running. I don't. I, I don't know. I ne- I never thought that. Um, I, well, never the, felt, I never felt any different. I never felt like I recovered differently or, or anything like that. Do you? Is, have you? Have you always done that? I've, uh, yeah, I've pretty much always done it. I don't do it after every run, but anything hard. So. For me, that's my bum burner on Thursday or my intervals on Tuesday or um, Sunday, sometimes Saturday run if I'm training for ultras or my Sunday run. I will have something within 20 minutes because it everything I've ever read always says that it you know, massively aids recovery. Um, something that's three to one carbs, protein. So what it gives examples, bagel with um bagel with peanut butter on or sushi bizarrely or chocolate milk although actually if you look at chocolate milk now goodness shakes has got the ratio but now because of the health kick a lot of the tesco supermarket uh they're reducing the sugar in their chocolate milk so actually it's no longer three to one you're looking at more um kind of two and a half to one two to one and so you need to put a bit of sugar in there um cliff bars you know the right the right amount um horlicks with a bit bit of uh bit of extra milk in there and so yeah i, I always try and do that you drink horlicks it's all not horlicks ovaltine oh ovaltine. my god you are old aren't you oh we discovered it recently it's incredible oh it's got my god do you have a do you have a mono slipper and a blanket as you're watching it's like you're watching strictly come dancing oh my god you've changed man it's so cozy, I tell you, it's so cozy. But check it out, it's full of amazing stuff. It's really good for you. It's um really and it's like a healthy hot chocolate. Yeah, oh, oh, it is it God. is. Um we and during the winter as well, because I basically got a huge a huge amount of cliff delivered in about Feb because I knew for comrades I was gonna be up in my training and therefore needed a lot more nutrition in the day and recovery stuff. But before that, I'd make a hot chocolate of uh Ovaltine with a bit of extra milk in, put it in my bag, go to track, freezing our tits off this winter. And then by the time we finish track, it's quite nice and warm. Like, it's not too hot, but it's nicely drinkable. So, uh, Claire and I would have a little hot chocolate after the track. It's great, great. Write it down as something to do next winter. Oh my thank God. me. Thank me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, really good. I mean, do batters, let us know what you think. Um, what surprised you? Yeah. What you're going to change? Uh, what didn't you know? Um, and if you've got any other questions out there, I mean, Renee seems really um, responsive. She seems really, really great. Um, so she's going to be at Love Trails. So we can ask her there. But also, I, I think she'd be more than happy to answer your questions if you, if you ping her out through her website. But, um, yeah, what, what is there left to discuss about ultras, about nutrition? Do let us know, and we'll, we'll get those answered for you. But, uh, yeah, I think that's that brings us to a 
good another good episode hopefully yeah absolutely i think there's something there's something there for everyone definitely whether you're like super serious or if you can't pick up a nugget from that i don't i don't think you're ever gonna find an episode when you are um because yeah that was uh jam-packed jam-packed with uh, with excellent advice and i underlined vitamin d we all need vitamin D. So um, it's sunny now, so I'm actually a little bit red. But well, I, started take, I started taking vitamin D when like, my genetic thing was done, my DNA thing was done. So now you've got a double D. Like double, double D, double D. D. <laughs> so yeah, come winter time, I think I'm going to be dosing up on vitamin D as well. Because once again, I've been ill. Uh, not badly, but a bit of a sore throat again. And anything that will stop me being ill it's the only thing stopping me training now um the only thing that's holding me back so um yeah god anything that will stop that well up for well um thanks for listening guys please subscribe um you can get in the facebook group let us know who you'd like us to interview if there are any topics you'd like us to discuss any races you'd like us to take part in um you can message us at uh, bad boy running letters at badboyrunning.com <laughs> yep <laughs> Um, if you want to get any of our um, people will say vests 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 oh don't say any... it please no don't just don't even mention them don't mention them no okay don't mention are we, are we is the website ready for any um, merchandise don't just don't even say the word if you think you're going to get vests and okay. stuff, just put that idea out of your head please just don't think about it it's okay. something it's something to it's inspire not... to in the future possibly and remember, there was a time when none of us had vests, and people were still happy then. They were. The happy. world still existed. Just like, forget. Yeah, like, we they're possibly happy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And now, all of a sudden, there's something that you didn't really even know about until you started listening to our voices, and now you want one. Why do you really want one? What, what emotional need is it fulfilling? Because I could pretty much guess something else can fulfil it much, much quicker. Yeah. Have you tried drugs? Huh? Drugs, Maybe that'll yeah. work for you. <laughs> um if you uh, if you like this episode then other good ones that are the similar vein um who are our endurance guys we've got dean carnassus the most famous ultra run of all time we've had robbie Britton, who is in the 24-hour team that uh Rennie is the nutritional coach for uh camille heron who oh camille is out of comrades we'll talk about that next week because i'm heartbroken but she is one of the most do-badder people on earth she drinks when she races she's got the 100 mile record she's got the 50 mile record she won comrades last year i mean what more do you need from episodes but if you if you want to fully understand the comments in the facebook group or some of the references we refer to this the do badder a to z a to z do badders tells you about our lexicon all the stories all the history it's basically an intense session on uh, everything do badder yeah, you have to you prepare yourself for that one. It's a it's an epic <laughs> epic trip through absolute nonsense and not family friendly. <laughs> it's so, not um, nothing's yeah, really family else. friendly. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, anything else, Jody? No, no, I think that's it. I think that's wrapped, summed it up perfectly. Wonderful. Well, we'll be back next week, um, possibly to talk with Anna McNuff, possibly to preview Comrades Ultra, which I will be running in a week's time. Um, probably, actually, when you hear this, I'll be running it that weekend. So um, do look out on Facebook. I will be posting um, the odd, the odd, the odd 
update on what's happening. I'm going for sub seven hours or sub seven thirty as my B goal. So uh, I think you can track it. Oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Put a bye 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 bye